Hey, I'm JR from the 18 Over Par with Mike and JR podcast, exploring the sights, stories, and sounds of golf on the prairies, where you'll find some of the most golf courses per capita of anywhere in the world, and beer. Lots of beer. The 18 Over Par with Mike and JR podcast is brought to you by Cherries Hauling. Service with a cherry on top. Get them at cherrieshauling.ca. If you own a construction company, you know there's nothing better than a clean job site. With Cherries Hauling, they'll get rid of your garbage and debris. We're talking drywall, appliances, mattresses, furniture, building supplies, flooring, carpeting, bushes, trees, all that shit. Gone. Give Cherry a call and he'll haul all that shit away and do it fast. Other guys will leave all that trash and debris in an overflowing bin, but not Cherry. I can't tell you how many times I've gone by new builds or renovation projects in and around Winnipeg, and I see overflowing dumpsters, bins, or a giant trash heap on the front drive. It is fucking disgusting and an absolute eyesore. The neighbors are getting pissed off having to look at all that trash that keeps on growing and growing, so just stop and give Cherry a call. He'll roll in with his dark sunglasses and bulging muscles. He'll steal your wife, and he'll take your junk away fast. Win-win if you ask me. Get a free quote at cherrieshauling.ca. Residential, commercial, industrial, or your nagging wife. He'll take it. C-H-E-R-R-Y-S hauling.ca. It's also brought to you by growablemedia.ca. Nothing cripples a business like a lack of leads and sales, especially during the pandemic. I don't need to tell you, COVID-19 has been one of the biggest economic hiccups we've ever encountered. Businesses are closing, employees are being laid off daily, yet smart businesses are still surviving and thriving. If you need more clients, Growable Media is for you. More specifically, if you'd like to know exactly how to get 5, 10, 30, even 50 plus high value dream clients every month with predictability and consistency. Sounds pretty fucking great, doesn't it? GrowableMedia.ca is for you. Just checking out the website. You'll find a free COVID-19 marketing playbook and a free report on how to double or even triple your sales in the next 90 days, even during COVID. It's fucking phenomenal. Better yet, you can test drive their services for free. You don't have to pay them a dime until you get those coins tickling the bottom of your jean pocket. They don't get paid until you get paid. Now, they're not cheap, but they get shit done. They're not some company that'll give you 30 shitty leads for a thousand bucks or something like that, and they go take your money and disappear overnight. Globalmedia.ca is a Winnipeg born and raised. Check them out today and grab the free playbook and the report, globalmedia.ca. The 18 Over Par Podcast with Mike and JR. You suck, you duckass. Welcome to 18 Over Par with Mike and JR. I'm JR, he's Mike, and today we're joined by Sandy Kersiba, head professional at Lakeview Hecla Golf Course on beautiful Hecla Island. It's just a couple hours north of Winnipeg. He's a former Aussie and Canadian tour player, former pro hockey player, and current fashion icon and trick shot artist. He's been doing trick shots before it was Instagram cool. We're talking way back early 90s, before Zuckerberg or any of those clowns were even alive. Well, maybe they were alive, but anyways, uh, he joins us today and we're fueled by... Barnhammer on Wall Street, 
Lousy Beatnik is the brew. It is delicious. You can check them out in Winnipeg and also one great city in St. James. They got some great grub. Let's get into it. Hello. Hello, Mike. How you doing, Sandy? Hey, great, Bert. Thanks, pal. It's, uh, this is a nice surprise from the both of you to own an old dog like me. <laughs> I guess to, to kick it all off, uh, if you can go back in time and remember when you got your first set of clubs, what that feeling was like. <laughs> yeah, I got a beating. Was that from your dad or your mom? Yeah, dad. <laughs> yeah. Dad. Um, are you recording or do you want this later? <laughs> I'm recording. <laughs> okay. So um, when I was six years old, seven years old, we were living on, uh, on the lake in Fort Francis, Ontario. And this is where my golf career started that I didn't know was uh, uh, I got a set of golf clubs cut down, hickory shafted golf clubs cut down, uh, black hockey tape that we used on hockey sticks for, for the new grip on the on the wood and another kid that i grew up with on the lake was four years older so he was 11 and we would march down to the like four cabins down was the first tee to the the nine old golf course so you know in the 50s golf courses were quiet monday to friday and uh, we could go down and run around the golf course at seven years of age eight years of age uh, and play so that's where i started but Going back to the beating from my father was he uh, he had a set of Sam Snead Blue Ridges that my mom bought him, and uh, he went to play with the boys on men's night and goes to the first tee to get a golf ball out, and no golf balls, they're all gone. <laughs> <laughs> so he had like twenty in his bag, but watching him and my uncles and his you know, his hockey buddies from playing for the Fort Francis Canadians, they would, you know, have too many beers and somebody would say, let's have a long drive contest uh, out into the lake. So <laughs> I saw this as a young kid. So one day when I figured out I should be hitting some golf balls, I went and got all the golf balls and whacked them all in the lake. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my golf balls? I said, well, they're all, at, you know, I just, I hit my best one, Dad, over top of the, the, off the dock, you know, it's out there about 30 yards. <laughs> no more. You hit it all the no way to the U.S. border. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was, uh, there you go. There's my first set of sticks uh, as a seven-year-old, eight-year-old. And did your dad ever yeah. buy you any golf balls after that? Uh, well, this is what started my golf career because uh, he got transferred to Dauphin uh, and he's, He's in the Hawkins Hall of Fame for hockey and baseball. And so we get to Dauphin. I'm now going, you know, nine, ten years old. Don't play any golf in Dauphin. The golf course is too far away. And in 1960, we moved back to Winnipeg because he got a job with Brunswick Falk. And uh, so his territory was Winnipeg to Vancouver Island. He was selling boats and yachts. He was selling bowling alleys, pool tables. Um, yeah, from Winnipeg through to the island, and then wow. he had McGregor, he had McGregor Golf Club, which was the number one stick in the world 
the number one golf ball in the world, and uh, soon to be signing Jack Nicklaus to the best player in the world. So hence, that's where my golf career started, because the basement became full of sporting goods. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess on that, uh, on that point, knowing just how athletic your dad was, was yeah. hockey the first thing for you, or was it golf? Uh, hockey. Uh, growing up with uh, a Canadian champion, um, his best buddies, Terry Sawchuk. Uh, my uncle won Stanley Cup twice. Uh, so, you know, the hockey stories as a kid and then as, as being a Canadian, we all have grandeur of NHL. So my first years were all, all about going to play pro hockey and, uh, and chase that life. And golf was going to be my, my sidekick that coming home in the summer because hockey players had to come home after five months from the States and have a job. So I figured, well, if I was a golf pro and ran a golf club or worked at a golf club in the summer, that takes care of that business. And, and then, uh, then come September, October, pack your U-Haul and head down south to play hockey in the States. So that was my dream. And, uh, lucky enough, uh, it did happen. And how long did you, did you play pro then? Yeah, I, I played pro two years uh, in senior hockey, so I had about a, a five-year run. So junior hockey, I played West Lagoon and North Stars, uh, junior Jets, uh, Brandon Weekings, and then I played uh, senior hockey for War of Minnesota with the, the, the Christian brothers, Thompson Hawks, uh, Selkirk, and then uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, y'all, in the... Uh, the Eastern Hockey League, the, the movie Slapshot is true, except for <laughs> the, the, the dance at the end. Uh, yeah, it, you know, when the movie came out, and I was sitting with my wife in, in the movie, and I'm, I'm laughing. And she said, that's not funny. I said, it's true. It's, it's, it's true to life. They really picked the truth of the league or hockey. You know, sitting in a sitting in the bar where the, you know, where the, goaltender with the French accent goes, you know, like, uh, coach, who loans me? <laughs> yeah. And I even said that when, when I signed my contract, I said, Spongy, who owns me? He said, Chicago. <laughs> I said, okay. Well, I come Salaveros is Detroit and my roommate's Montreal. And <laughs> Jeez. And, were were uh, guys still smoking on the bench cool. at that time? Oh, there was more booze in, in between than orange juice. Yeah, there were cigarettes going. There were cigarettes going. Guys were popping, you know, a shot of whiskey, and somebody else had that with beer. And Sandy's 19 years old looking for an orange, you know. And then the trainer's going, well, if you take four of these blue ones and mix them with the two white ones, you're, you're, you're going to be up for about four days. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to you'll have the game of your life though oh yeah i mean it was uh on the road on the buses playing cards you know uh pulling into the into the stops and and you know it it really hasn't changed after well it's 50 years since i did some of that but um the uh, political side of life which being a canuck and and we didn't have the black situation as 
as the side of the states where you know you're going down there 20 years old and you're going deep south and people are missing and and uh, you're you're to go out in twosomes and you got to watch yourself right and right uh, it was just a different world yeah. I mean you know um, I'm going to say this in a nice way but the size of windows like six by eight would have a sign it you know today would be no blacks allowed well you know it, it's no n word uh, yeah. allowed and black and white fountains uh, the line on the bus. So, you know, it was a real eye-opener. And we played from Jacksonville, Florida, because another one of those dreams was I wanted to play hockey in Florida. So I played in Jacksonville. And of all things, got my first goal in Jacksonville against Ronnie Lowe that became famous for for Edmonton. Do you still have um, that puck? Uh, it's somewhere. <laughs> it's, 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 in, it's in your dad's house. <laughs> it's exactly... <laughs> And he, he, he's got a whole section blocked off that he, I can't get into until he dies. <laughs> uh, yeah, like the souvenir stuff. That, well, God. Sandy, yeah. were you uh, were you able to were you allowed to golf during the hockey season, or is that frowned upon? No, it was it was that year in Greensboro was terrific because I went to training camp in in uh, in uh, Niagara Falls. And I decided that I was going to pick on this 50 goal scorer superstar on the team, right? And Donnie's been playing in the International League, the Eastern League, the Central League. He was a good little five foot nine walk who could skate, shoot goals, you know, score goals like crazy. So he had a 50 goal game or a 50 goal season. So I said to my centerman, I said, listen, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to be his shadow for the whole uh, inter-squad games. And, uh, okay, so four stick-slinging duels later. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, it was not nice. And I didn't really look like I could put the puck in the net, but luckily they knew that on my paper, I I had 40 goals coming in. And uh, so we get... I make the team, sign my contract. Donnie doesn't want to sit at the same table at me. He doesn't want to be near me in the dressing room. He hates my gut. So we had this booster night where we're going to meet all the people and, and uh, the owners of the hockey team and, and uh, have a nice nice party. So who do I get as my table mate is Donnie. <laughs> Donnie, pass yourself. Get it yourself. Of course. You know, you to, yeah, you want some butter? No, you know, like... So then, uh, now they're introducing the team to the to the uh, audience, and we have Sandy Prasiba from Winnipeg, Manitoba, plays uh, center, left wing. Um, you know, blah 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 blah. Oh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, he is also a golf professional in the off season, and just becoming a member of the Canadian PGA. So I sit down and. Donnie grabs my arm and he says, you and me tomorrow, we're going to do this tomorrow. You and me, we're, we're at it tomorrow. Well, Donnie, I mean, we're, we're teammates now. I mean, the war is over. Like we, we got to fight for togetherness, right? He says, no, no, tomorrow. He says, I got this place that you're going to fix. So we're going to play golf. (laughs) (laughs) And did you fix that slice? No golf. Yeah. (laughs) 
He says, you don't know this yet, but we have two free memberships at two golf courses here in Greensboro. So shower, out the door, we're going, but we're playing golf for the next two weeks while we're home. <laughs> and then the owners of the, the owners of the hockey team were were uh, members at, uh, well, we're paint Stewart one, at, uh, at a golf club in, in Myrtle Beach. And uh, so... Yeah, we got to play. We got to play every day, and and other, you know, we practiced at 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 uh, eight thirty. We're off the ice by eleven. We're out the door and headed to the golf course by noon. So that was that was fun day. Yeah. Yeah, sounds like a pretty good time to me. Yeah, and the coach, uh, well, two coaches. We had Spongy as one coach, and Teddy. Teddy Lanyon was the other coach. He was a Winnipegger. He's the one that took uh, Larry Brazillo and I down there. And uh, Teddy Teddy loved his golf, so it didn't take long that we had two, three foursomes going uh, going out the door at noon to play. That's great. Yeah. It's, uh, I looked up some stats from your, your Greensboro days, and uh, there's a few penalty minutes. On the uh, yeah, that was, uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a few other things in there, but those are the ones that I saw those two and went, okay, I got, I got the goal, and then uh, the penalty minutes were not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> there were good penalties, yeah, right? <laughs> there were good penalties. Roger Wilson, like this is the days when everybody else is five foot nine and five ten, and, and anybody that's over six feet was a giant. You know, and now today everybody's six foot six on the ice. Right. And Roger Wilson, uh, like I'm a rookie. I'm 20 years old. These guys are all 24, 26 years old. They've been sitting in the minors for four or five years and hard criminals. <laughs> and I'm sitting in the sitting in the on the bench, and Roger's big defense when he says to me, uh, "See number 24." I said, "Yeah." He said, "Stick him the next time we're out there." And I'm going. Stick them from what? And they said, just stick them in the skate, stick them in the back, whatever, you know, get them to come after you. And I said, oh, thanks. And I said, uh, he said, don't worry, just make sure I'm on the ice because uh, it's time to get him. So stab this guy in the back. He comes after me. Roger comes in like a freight train, beats the hell out of the guy. We're all sitting in the penalty box. Then Roger says to me, he says, now when we get back on the ice together, 14. <laughs> Fourteen. Oh, wow. said, well, we'll be in a we'll be in a bloodbath by the end of the hockey game. Yeah. He says, Sandy. He said, I just looked at the schedule today, and I'm going to probably ship out to Dallas, which was Chicago's other farm team, and then Rogers destined for the NHL, right? So he's going to get to Dallas for uh, maybe the season, and then he's going to be in the NHL after that. So sure enough, we get out and uh, and I stab number stab number fourteen. So I'm drawing two minutes for for the penalty, and he's drawing five for fighting. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I said I have to live here. He said, No, no, you'll be fine. They know they know I'm coming. And and as, as Bobby Hall said, and as I learned my lesson going to play pro hockey as well, if you hit anybody. There's one rule that says we're coming back to get you, right? Yeah. And uh, so that was 
Ellis Bunn and Roger, like I'm two years before the WHA. So all these guys that I played with in, in 71, they all jumped into the WHA. They went from like $300 a week to $60,000 contracts and no cuts and, you know, cars and homes and life was great. And you were just you make golfing? It to the end of that, you're only going to get 10 grand. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, um, and then, uh, yeah, so that was part of that two minutes of, of not my doing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, coming from a father that's a coach and player, I, even when I, I, I said to, uh, I phoned dad about an hour before I'm going to sign my contract. And I said, dad, I said, what should I ask for? He said, uh, do you want to play hockey? And I said, yeah. He said, whatever they put on that piece of paper, you sign. I said, well, what if? He said, they don't need you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mean you don't need me. Well, they don't. I mean, there's a thousand other hockey players sitting out there the same as you. So I go in and and sign my contract and and, uh, said to Spongy, is that all I get? He's being cheeky, right? (laughs) Spongy says, okay, I'll give you 10 bucks. I'll give you $10 more a week. So I went from 150 bucks a week to 160. (laughs) <laughs> which, which is the same salary I'm getting as a golf pro at Southwood uh, you know, 600 a month at Southwood and 600 a month playing pro hockey well this is I'm riding the wave right, yeah. and uh, and then he says to me Spong, he says to me he said, no, listen uh, you're not playing for the first four games and I went what he said yeah um two kids from Quebec and one from PEI are playing first and they're going to play his first two or three games. And then, uh, I'm putting them on a bus back to home and then you'll start. Welcome to the politics, eh? Right. Yeah. Okay. So I'm pumped no matter what. So I go downtown and I'm now got to go and buy stuff to live and move into with the trainer and stuff. And I pick up a hockey news, right? Which is the old paper. Uh, hockey news in those days, which was famous. And I'm going through all the leagues to see where my buddies, you know, ended up or if anybody made it. And I get to the Eastern League and I look at Greensboro and Sandy Kersee was on waivers. Oh, no. <laughs> I won waivers? Like, I, I signed my contract last night. And uh, so next day I go in to see Spongy and I, I show him the paper. I said, I'm on waivers. And I said, come to think of it, they would have printed this this paper 10 days ago. <laughs> and uh, so he says to me, he says, like I told you, you're starting the fourth game. I'm hiding you for, for, you know, a week and a half on paper. You're on waivers. So I can bring you back when I want to bring you back. And, uh, and so be it. Right. Okay. And so you're not, no, he said, tell you're just going to sit in the shadows. And then, uh, so I phoned dad that night and tell him and father being father says, so who said you get to play every game kid? Yeah. I went, Oh, <laughs> welcome to the pros. Yeah. Because you played every goddamn game in junior, you know, you're not, you're welcome to the real world of, of hockey. So that was, you know, things that I never forgot, uh, no matter where I played that, you know, if the coach says you're not playing tonight, there must be a reason. 
or I used to vow that the only way you're going to stop me from playing is you better break a bone somewhere in my body that says you can't go. <laughs> so my whole left side is broken, boys. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> they made your, sure you weren't getting out there. your swing is straight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, and in and, and those days, I, I got very lucky because Dad and Bill Juza were coaching the Canadian national team that was here in the 60s. And I used to go to practices at the one at old Winnipeg Arena and skate with the guys that should be in the NHL and did go to the NHL when Team Canada was dissolved. And then uh, all the NHL guys and guys that played pro when I was at, in August would get ice at Ravens Court and I would get a phone call to practice with them. So I had, a, you know, Abby McDonald, uh, uh, Jimmy Johnson, Philadelphia, uh, Boots, Waterwich, Bobby Waterwich. I mean, it was like who's who of Winnipeg hockey was practicing, and, and you get to learn exactly what you have to do. And if you don't do it, they'll tell you. Like, they'll say, listen, do you want to play pro? Yeah, well, then, you know, pick up your game or play more aggressive or skate faster or pass quicker or whatever the case may be. So I had a real good learning curve in that area. Um, you know, when I look back at that, or they're telling you to get a lot better at golf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that was, uh, you know, so golf, like playing golf was really so far down my, my list of to do, because, uh, my idea was, you know, I'm going to be your host pro and look after you and get you on the first tee and, and, and sell golf. Um, but I did have in the back of my mind one day that I would love to play, you know, tour golf or tournament golf. Um, and that kicked in when, uh, when I met, a an Aussie, I married an Aussie, uh, that I met when I was playing hockey and she was nursing and, and, uh, I was going to go back to world and play for the winter. When I got up one morning, this is in 72 and, said to dad I said I'm quit hockey I'm not playing anymore and I said that Margaret I said I'm not playing anymore I said let's go down under and meet your family and let's go play some golf in Australia and see the world so um, I headed down under in 1970 well the end of 72 so 73 was really my first year of or so called four months of seeing what the world of professional golf is all about. <laughs> you know, I played my Manitoba Oh yeah. Played my Manitoba Opens and stuff. So, you know, Manitoba, you, you play one three round golf tournament a year and you, you play a couple of one day events and you think you you can play this game, right? <laughs> well, no, we have Jack Nichols, Arnold Palmer, Gary Player, Peter Thompson, Kel Nagel, Lee Trevino, um, on the practice piece standing beside you and you say, if I add that up, that's something like 25 tournaments, majors won. So my shooting 86 against their 66, I think I've got to learn <laughs> how to play this <laughs> And then, oh, by the way, there's there was a ton of club pros that, you know, looked after golf courses, but they've played the tour around the world, and they can shoot 66 at you. Right. So I go out there and... and you know, to be honest with you, I never, I never cast a check. I stayed for three years down under and never cast a check. 
in three years. Oh, wow. That's how, that's how like, all my low numbers were on practice days. When it came to the tournament, I was like 77, 74, you know, 86, miss a cut, go home. Jeez, so, what a battle. Why uh, did you stick it yeah. out? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, did they at least give you a hot dog? <laughs> no, hell no. I did, oh. well, I did get into a few free <laughs> corporate tents. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, hopefully if you could stay around for Sunday when the free food was out. Yeah, yeah. kangaroo yeah. steak. Oh, and and the Aussies don't have breakfast the way we do. They, there's there's not a you know Denny's on the corner that's open or a, a fast food breakfast joint. It's like sorry, you can get a beer at six in the morning, mate, but you're not going to get bacon and eggs. <laughs> so you you learn that you better do some cooking in in your motel room. So I I got befriended with one of Australia's greatest players. With his name was Billy Dunk, and you can Google it one time. And, and this man had uh, well, at the end he had seventy plus course course records, one hundred and fifty tournament wins. Uh, played with the best in the world. He he beat Nicholas uh, for stroke average one year on on worldwide stroke average. Um, so he befriended me and became my friend as well as mentor and, and uh, life on tour. So he said to me one year, this is 1975 going into six. And he said, Sandy, he said, I'm not going to teach you. He said, I'll give you everything on the golf course. And when we are on tour, but I'm not going home and then finding you waiting for me on a driving range and teach you how to play. Like I did all the other guys. I don't want to do that. And I said, that's no, fine. And, uh, so at the same time I came home to Winnipeg and, uh, and, uh, you know, not knowing what I wanted to do other than to work in golf. And, and uh, I had a decision to make whether to forget about this tournament life and just be a club pro. So I, uh, I uh, searched, you know, actually it's this time of the year, February, March, and I get a job at Cedar Golf Course with Jimmy Davis. And I work six days a week and I get all the lessons and, uh, play every golf tournament I want. And then I go back to one of my old bosses, Danny Sachs, that I started with at Glendale as a 14-year-old kid. And this man won everything in Manitoba. He played the American Tour. He knew how to play this game. So I went and saw Uncle Dan, as I called him, and uh, said, would you teach me how to play tournament golf? Mm -hmm. And so he quizzed me for a five-hour session one night about life and stuff. He hadn't seen me for three years. Then we went and played Pine Ridge, and I shot 72 at Pine Ridge, and I was pumped because it was my best round ever at Pine Ridge. And not then bad. Me, not bad, eh? And, and yeah. he phones me the day after and says, uh, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm working till 3. He said, okay, I'll drop by from that 3 o'clock for a cup of coffee. So we're having a coffee, and he says to me, um, so here's the deal. And he put Will Pominick on tour. He was part of George Newsom going on tour. He he knew how to play the game as well as practice. So he said, Sandy, you prepared to go to work for five years. So I'm 26. And I, I said, uh, uh 
He says, I'm prepared. If you're going to work for five years, I'm prepared to be your teacher. If you don't want to go to work for five years, have a nice life. Because <laughs> at this time, I'm sitting here at 70 years of age, and Danny was 70 years of age with me at 30 Jeez. or at 25. So I said, we start right now. And I marched into the back shop and I pulled out a barrel of balls, like a big garbage pail, hold it down. So there's 700 balls in those garbage pails that I used to practice with. And we sat, or he sat, and I had balls from 3.30 in the afternoon till midnight before I went home that day. And we talked golf. And so... Long story short, over the five years, I went from a stroke average of 79 from my Australian days, which you are 10, 10 shots away from even getting a sniff of money. Yeah. And five years later, in my progress, I had a stroke average of 69. I'd won, uh, off the top of my head, let's say 15 to 20 tournaments in Canada. Well, uh, in contention, uh, get beat, get lost, go into a playoff, whatever the case might be. So I'm, I'm, I've learned how to play this game now, you know. Um, and then, so I'm 30 years old, and we sit down for that, just like you watch on TV when you hear about all the kids with their their uh, their teams, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we don't have a. I don't have a chiropractor and I don't have a fitness team and I don't have a you know contract with anybody. And so it's just me and Danny sitting there. And I said, okay, what are we going to do for next year coach? And he says, uh, uh, quit your job at tuxedo, sell your house and cars and go play. And then, uh, and the Canadian tour is only eight weeks of the year. And then, um, there was no minor tour, right? There's no web.com. <laughs> There's the, the Caribbean tours. European tour is no bigger than the, the Canadian tour. That was eight weeks in their summer. Uh, there's Asia, the Far East, and all that stuff. But Australia, outside of the United States, was the best place to play in the world in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Wow. So... Uh, then I said, okay, what's my second option? He says, uh, stay at Tuxedo for the rest of your life, have some kids and have some fun and play backyard golf. So I said to him, okay, now what should I do? He said, let me tell you a story about a, a golf pro I know. And he says, uh, he got all the way to the American tour. He's played down there for a year and gets a phone call one day and his dad passed away and, he uh, went home and helped the family through the service and time. And then he looked at his family and said, you know, my mom's got two more kids to raise at home and no money, no income. So the golf pro decides to stay and get a job and look after his mom and his family. And that golf pro would sit in his pro shop at 50 years of age and, and uh, wonder what would happen if he'd gone back to the tour days. And I said to him, I said, that was you. He said, I told you it was a friend of mine. I said, no, no, that was you. Because I said, I know other stories about you and your golf game. And uh, he said, yeah. So he said, Sandy, 
I don't care if you become the most famous golfer in the world, you become rich and famous, or even go broke from this game. I don't want you sitting in a pro shop at 50 wondering if you should have gone. So this story, boys, I, I go home and I tell Margaret, my wife, and and she says, so uh, when do you want to put the house up for sale? Because she's being a nazi. <laughs> We're going to the wow. house. <laughs> so uh, I have a house and, Yeah, real, like, lucky, 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 lucky. And, and uh, so I had a house in St. James down by uh, off of Ness with the Cinnabon Golf Club, and we put it up for sale. God, and, God's country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a thank you. Yeah, so, yeah. What a what a piece of work that was. Um, I'm pierogi one. He's pierogi two. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, so long story short, with that uh, we we do sell everything and head for uh, head down under for 1981. So in the 70s, uh, Jack Newton, Shira Stanley. David Graham, um, these are some of the Aussie guys. So now 1981 comes, as you guys watching your golf today, uh, my new playmates on tour, Baker Finch, uh, Frank Nobolo, Wayne Grady, Payne Stewart, uh, Greg Norman, um, Bernard Longer, uh, Newt Sarah. You're, and you're playing on the Australian tour with these, these with all these guys. Yeah, with all these guys that become famous, right? So here I am, 30 years old, and these guys are all 20, 21, 22, 23, 24 type. You know, they're they're six years younger, ten years younger. So that that's the circus of the new, you know, the new kids on the block that there's no fame. There's one night in Brisbane, and, and they were playing the Queensland Open, and and we're all having a beer on Tuesday night in the clubhouse. And just going around the table, as I just mentioned, all those names, in 1981, nobody was famous. Nobody. Yeah. And then 10 years later, you know, Payne's won a couple of majors, and Finchie's uh, won and lost a major. Grady's won and lost a major. Um you know, they've won the Australian Opens. They've won things in their backyard to become famous locally. And uh, and then they go off into the world and become, you know, the, the world beaters as well. So those were the guys that I traveled with in the 80s. And uh, I, I played another, I played from 81 through to 87. And, and then uh, we had a, uh, a baby and, and I looked at it and went, you know what? Um, I'm going to play part-time golf, not full-time. And, uh, and then we decided what country we're going to live with, with a uh, baby. So we decided to return back to Canada. I worked in BC for 13 years and played the Canadian tour and events and ran golf clubs. Um, wow. Yeah. And so today, as of today and, and laugh about all those years of golf, my daughter, Jacqueline, who is now, 35 years old is running Southside golf course as general manager. And her husband is uh, Andrew Steep and he's running Southwood. Yeah. Funny how the world comes wow. together. Well, funny enough, uh, Mike's yeah. swing coach is uh, Jim Steep. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, very true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, uh, one of your questions earlier there, uh, Sandy, was what is my handicap? And, and uh, are you sitting down? Because my, my handicap's 18. So it's, 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 is that good? I'm not sure. But, uh, well, so, you know, it's, it's 18 is, you know, you're shooting 90, so you're breaking 100. It's, uh, I have fun out there. So yeah, I've gone to see, uh, Jim Steve, uh, once at Southwood actually, and once at Tuxedo. And so he's my official swing coach. <laughs> oh, good. I'm not saying nothing now. What's it like to be father-in-laws? I mean, we laugh because when the kids, like we know, Jimmy and I knew each other. 1978 when he came to Winnipeg from back east so we were friends before the kids even met each other right yeah so uh, it's not and it's one of those lucky things that uh, you know Alex my dad being in the golf business for 50 years you know great friends with Jimmy and and family and stuff so when the kids got together and lived together and become married you know it's come on for dinner you know it's not who's your relative and you got to live with this basket case <laughs> but uh yeah it's it's been a nice ride for for the kids as well as uh as jimmy and i laugh you know yeah for sure yeah, yeah. wow what a great what a and great i even go i like you know right now i haven't been but last year at this time i was going down to uh agape and and uh, chopping up onions and tomatoes and helping them out Wow. Then he's got a great son. I mean, Joe, um, Andrew can play. I was teaching Andrew a little bit before the Jacqueline and them met. Uh, Andrew's coming down to Phoenix and, and staying with me and playing some golf. And then I introduced him to Jacqueline one night. And he says, uh, so what's up with Jacqueline? I said, you got no chance. She's got a boyfriend. <laughs> and all that. <laughs> and that was and Jacqueline breaks up in April and he spots it on Facebook and phones her and says, you want to go for coffee? <laughs> oh, it's because you challenged And then the other him. thing I you would have never won anything in all those trophies in golf if it wasn't for my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Year, year, Canadian club pro of the year. Yeah, good play. <laughs> yeah, he, he was okay. Yeah, he does okay. Yeah, no, he can't play. Yeah. And so, where did where did trick shots come in then? Like with with all this, whether it be golf or hockey, like when what compelled you to say, "Hey, I want to try and hit wacky shots with skates on." Yeah, that's. Uh, how long is your show? A couple of days? <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> um, well, basically, at 14 at Glendale, in those days, and, and being the Jewish club, uh, the weekends were dead quiet. Like, come Sunday afternoon, there's nobody on the golf course. And and us back shop kids and front shop guys would uh, go and steal the balls out of everybody's uh, shag bag because there's no driving range balls in those days in the 60s. And we would uh, hit tee shots down 10 and then, you know, off a chair and off a three-foot twig and run at it like Happy Gilmore. And, <laughs> and then the guy that had the worst shot of the night 
had to collect all the balls and put them back in the bag. And uh, so that was my two summers at Glendale. Now, when I go over to Rossner to work for Jerry Morrissey at Rossner, that's 16 through to 1920. Um, well, we, I'm now I'm back in the hood with all my buddies and, and probably 30 to 40 junior golfers that were all going to school together. Well, we would put on long drives and trip shots on the first tee while the weddings were on Saturday night. Oh, smart. <laughs> so we would, we, you know, just you know, off my knees was an old thing and, uh, three foot tees were nothing. And, uh, you know, run at it was nothing. So it was always there. And then I got to see Mo Norman, uh, and, uh, the best ball striker in the world do his clinics and he do a few little tricks. And then, uh, Back in the early days of the of the Mar- uh, Aussie tour, sorry, Wedgie Winchester is a friend that, and from the states. And Google Wedgie Winchester when you get a moment. Wedgie was a player, and uh, but he also had this other side of life where uh, he would do something as a trick. So he became a famous trick shot because. Uh, he won the PGA, like the American Golf Tour, PGA Tour Long Drive Championship. He beat everybody on tour with a, a ping driver, wood-headed driver, banged it like 340 yards off the tee, and won on a, on a small grid. Jeez. And ping signed him to a contract. And uh, so he was a ping fitter, player, um, and then go out and do trick shot shows for ping around the world. So I hired him up in, uh, in, in the BC opens and stuff when I ran those in uh, BC and, and he said, why don't you do this? And I said, well, I do most of them, but I haven't built the double headed club and the six foot club and the rubber hoses and, you know, all the stuff you see in my pictures. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm sitting uh, teaching and I was doing clinics so the other part going back to the Aussie tour was I was part of a group like the boys that I mentioned that at the end of a pro-am day we would go out and do a little grip and stance clinic and then then uh, you do a pain you do your favorite trick Sandy you do your favorite trick or there would be two of us hooking and slicing to see if we can make the balls collide and all that stuff so now I'm sitting on the driving range one day doing clinics and I went, okay, I'll, to prove a point about the, the hands and the arms and the controlling of, of, of the golf swing. Well, if I could, I do the same thing with a rubber hose, I'll hit it. If I do it with a six foot drive, I'll hit it. If I, you know, run and swing at it, you got to control your hands and arms. So this is the essence of my, my show. And then I sit down and, put it together and, and, uh, and then started selling it. I, you know, put it out there and got a gig and then it, uh, started to mushroom. But at 50 years of age, I, uh, uh, was living in, uh, Vernon, BC. And, and I said to Margaret, I said, I would love to go back to Australia and play the senior tour. Well, again, boys, it didn't take her long to, pack the bags and let's go. Wow. And it gives Jacqueline, 
uh, at that time, 13, she'll be able to live in two countries and know her families on both sides of the world and all these decisions in life. So when I get there, I get a job at Royal Pines Golf Course, which comes up on the Golf Channel when they play the Australian PGA Championship. And uh, I think... Uh, uh, who won that last year was uh, uh, he's just he's just playing the tour. I'll get it in a second. Sorry, guys. And then it's all right. Um, so I go back at fifty to to play the senior tour and you know find a job that'll that'll uh, help me along the way and. Uh, so when I'm home, I can be teaching, and then when I'm on the road playing, that's fine too. So I go to World Pines, which is a big complex on the Gold Coast, and I get hired there by an old buddy of mine that played the tour with me in Australia, and then and, uh, they wanted to do promotions, and, and uh, they said we uh, we have another friend of yours, and I said who's that? And they said Grady's our our touring pro. So they phone Grady's and. And he says, the Yank there? And I he said, the Yank? He said, Kersheba. Yeah. What's with the Yank? He says, oh, that's a nickname just to piss him off. <laughs> right? So uh, Wayne and I sit down and I said, why don't you do, you're famous because you won the PGA, US PGA, then you do a half an hour of drip stance and tell a story and then I'll come in behind and tell them that whatever you said was BS and I'll do the trick shots and will be the entertainment group for corporate life. So we put this together and I go and to uh, Henry Griffith, which is a golf club that was the first company to start club fitting. And I got all my clubs built for the trick shots and I practiced and I practiced for two days. (laughs) (laughs) So so that's all it takes, eh? Two days. Because most of it is, was, you know, years of done. So I'm on the way home. This is Australia. This is on the Gold Coast. I'm on the way home and they said, what's going to make this different? I said, well, everybody loves Happy Gilmore. And uh, so I'm driving past a uh, thrift shop, you know, pawn shop. And I go in and I said, you wouldn't happen to have any ice skates. He says, yeah, i got about four pairs and down in the back. And I go down there and I find a pair of, of Bowers for $20, brand new. And they fitted. So I tried them on in the car. I tried them on in the car. They fitted. And uh, so I phoned Margaret and I said, listen, I'm, I'm not going to be home for dinner. I'm going back to the driving range. And I went back and I practiced for two more hours with my skates on for two hours. <laughs> so that was, that, that was, and it, you know, the thing was to get up the next morning and make sure I wasn't hurt. And then uh, I went down and don't, don't uh, go mad at me because you, but I picked some Toronto Maple Leaf sweater as my sweater for Happy Gilmore. <laughs> oh no. So, yeah. So I knew something was coming. <laughs> But the one thing is, though, from looking at your pictures, was it the the white bower skates that you ha- that you picked yeah. up in the first shop? Yeah, so you were. Yeah. Oh, okay, you were ahead of your yeah. time with the the fashion statement of the the white skates. 
Yeah, with Reggie Leach at, at uh, playing in in uh, Seattle, not Seattle, but San Francisco, eh? Oakland Field. Yeah, Oakland Make Field, a, White State. Yeah, making a statement. Reggie says it was like, who cares? Because nobody was coming to a hockey game anyway. We'll just, you know, it was all all promotion and marketing. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that was that was that was the key to the white skates that made it different, right? And then uh, put the sweater on, and everybody in Australia saw the sweater as a maple leaf. Being Canadians, had no idea what Toronto maple leafs were, or good or bad. And all my Canadian friends, as in Montreal Canadian friends, that I said, you know, outside of Canada, nobody knows what the CH stands for. I said a maple leaf, they know what it stands for, right? And then right. I would, uh, uh, because my uncle John won two our Stanleys with the Maple Leafs, and then uh, my coach uh, growing up with dad was Bill Jusa, which he won two Stanleys with the Maple Leafs. Not and, you? No, and Terry Sochik was dad's best buddy, and uh, you know, so there's a family reason for. And then don't forget, I grew up with the 16 league, not 2014 league. Yeah, uh, and a few less like teams then than there is now. Oh, it was, uh, you could name every player in 16. Yeah. You know, today I'm going, I can't even get past four guys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Dubois. I can say Dubois now. Right? <laughs> yes, right. He had, a, he had a great night last night. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sandy, Sandy, one thing I got to ask you about the skates is, uh, did you ever sharpen the skates? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought to, I, I thought maybe a fresh sharpen would get you a, a few yeah. extra yards. Well, no, the whole key is to dig that back foot in for stability. So, yeah, yeah. sharpen the right, sharpen the right toe. Uh, I saw that in in one of in one of the videos, and uh, I thought the the maintenance team must be thrilled uh, with with the skates. And and I was curious if you ever played a full hole in the skates and obviously you wouldn't walk on the green. I don't think, but did it ever come up? Yeah. Well, I, uh, when we went on the green, like I have been, but what I do is I'd have uh, skate guards. Yeah. That's awesome. And then uh, you got to picture this. I got, I was playing a senior event and I got to, to be the entertainer at the end of the day. And it was hot. It was like, 45 Celsius the day we played. Like, we're talking 100 degrees or more. And I picked out a spot just off side of the clubhouse for the show and said to the pro, I said, here's where I got going, so, you know, send everybody down here. He said, no. He said, I'm not going down there. I said, well, what are we going to do it? Because there's really no other flat spot and big enough for, you know, 200 people. He said, you're doing it on the putting green. I said, I said, you remember the part where I wear skates and I take divots? He said, I don't care, you're doing it on the putting green. So you got to picture this. The putting green's right in front of the clubhouse. It's a two-story clubhouse. It's got a great big balcony on the on up top with the bar. He said, I've, sent, I've uh, set up another bar on the lower level and I've set up chairs around the putting green. And I got all 200 people drinking. Do you understand? Drinking. I said, hey. 200 times 10, like there's $2,000. I said, okay, as long as you don't, you know, 
going to get mad at me for doing what, what I'm going to do. So I, I got my skates on and I'm, I'm dancing around a little bit and I'm get I'm a little nervous because I don't want to take a divot. Meanwhile, you got to picture this. There's a guy on my backside that I keep telling to move because he's too close to my back swings and stuff with the long clubs. So he's backed up and backed up. And then I stopped in the middle of the show and I said, ladies and gentlemen, I got to do this because in my mind and heart, I'm not hitting the golf ball as good as I can. And I take these two divots out of the green that are like a foot and a half long, especially a putting green. Right? They just rip. <laughs> and that turf goes flying. And I turned to the audience and I said, now, please don't tell the superintendent with me. Just tell him that somebody snuck in the middle of the night. Yeah. And, did this, right? <laughs> and this guy that I've been pushing away from my backswing says, it's okay, Sandy, we're getting a new golf first next year. And I turned to him, I said, you wouldn't happen to be the superintendent, would you? <laughs> well, 200 people were just dying up there, oh. right? Because that's who the guy was. He was the super, and I just ripped his putting ring. Yeah. But four days, yeah. four days later, I got a note back home that, that uh, they patched it up, and you'd never know that I was there. Like, the, the skate marks go away overnight. Oh, yeah, that's good. The, the, the other question I had about the skates is how many people made the joke, no skates in the clubhouse, kind of a <laughs> reference back to no spikes in the clubhouse. I like that. There was a few. Yeah, there was a few. <laughs> uh, sure. And when I, I had to, my, ask, had to ask. Yeah. Yeah, and then I would go over to the cement sidewalk beside wherever I was then. I would just scrape them out. Just, you know, like chalk on a chalkboard, and people go, oh, God. <laughs> so we had some fun. I mean, uh, it's uh, in Australia, I got to travel all of Australia. I made money. Uh, you know, I had a manager and stuff like that. And and then my biggest audience was uh, 30,000 plus uh, at the Sydney Olympic Stadium. Wow. So just like Bomber Stadium, mm-hmm. right? 30,000, 50,000 people at a football game for them, which was Aussie, Aussie rugby. Mm-hmm. And uh, Greg Norman, Greg Norman was on the big, because this is the, the stadium they built for the Olympics in 2000. So Greg Norman did the commercial. It was a, it was a promo for the first ever golf expo uh, exhibition in Australia. So, you know, 300 exhibitors and bring your family and see the latest tech and golf and all the superstars. So Greg does the commercial and, uh, cause he in the Olympics got created around the stadium, hitting balls into the stands and stuff. So with me, they go, you do the opening show, like before game time, do your show on the, on the warning track. So boys, I'm like a month out. I'm going, what's that? I can't hit a real golf ball inside her. <laughs> so what I did is I took uh, a real golf ball and I drilled an inch hole in the golf ball. Like, so it became like a whiffle ball. Right. Oh yeah. Smart. So I, could, I could clean this thing up, hit it with the driver as hard as I wanted. And at 110 yards or hundred <laughs> meters, you guys could catch this golf ball. It came down like a butterfly. Oh, nice. So I practiced 
all month, and I had this whole bag of golf balls. For, and anything after that, like the rubber hoses are going to go 80 yards and, you know, 75 yards. And, and the six-foot driver is going to go 110. So I'm not going to kill anybody. And so I do the show, and uh, everything worked out well. And then the halftime show, and I was sponsored by Club Car Golf Cart. So they put me on the club car and on the back and I'm going around hitting golf balls into the audience. And, uh, if you turn the golf ball back in, you got a family pass worth a hundred dollars to go to the, to the golf expo. So, uh, that was a great, a great fun night and promotion that helped. That was TV. So I'm on live TV and, uh, uh, around Australia. Um, and then, uh, New Zealand. I got down to New Zealand to do it for a telephone company for Telstra. Um, I get a out of the blue. I get an invite to China, and I do two two shows in China and two weeks of teaching junior golfers how to how to play better golf. Wow! Just because of a because of a church show, and then wow. I get and I get the one in Dubai. Um, was they uh, this company out of Singapore had to put the uh, summit meeting together for Nokia and they wanted something different and being Nokia being you know the Swedes and the and the Finns so here's a here's a happy Gilmore hockey player doing trick shots so I get a phone call and I go from Winnipeg to Dubai for four days to do my show all expenses paid wow right yeah. And, uh, Have you been back to Dubai since then? No, no. I wish it would be nice. Uh, there was yeah. a there was a picture. I'm not sure if it, it, you had posted or I, I found it somewhere else there on the the World Wide Web, and you were on the driving range, and uh, the yeah. the uh, the skyline was bleak and compared to what I imagine it is now. And I'm sure, however long that was ago, but in, in in a short time, that skyline uh, exploded. Oh, there was that was two o five September two o five when I went, and when I found out from the event planner where I was going, because I thought I was going to Singapore, he said, "No, you're going to Dubai." And uh, and uh, I said, "Where am I staying?" And they said, "Well, we don't know yet. We'll let you know." And then he. Uh, he sends me a note and he says, look up Arabian Ranches. It's a brand new golf course and hotel. So I look up That's Arabian Ranches and, and uh, golf course designed by, yeah, by Jack Nicklaus and Ian Baker Finch. So I jump on the, on the telephone. I phone Finchie and I said, I'm going to Dubai and I'm staying at Arabian Ranches and the hotel is opening up just when I get there. So he sends me back a whole list of staff and people that he were friends uh, from building this. So, you know, just uh, uh, out of a friendship, you know, here we are traveling in some backyards together. And then uh, the skyline, as you said, I remember saying to my driver, I said, how come nobody's building in this little block? You know, which was like four blocks by four blocks. He said, Sandy, the world." tallest buildings going in there and it starts next week wow and then we went past the the mall which the, the mall the sign on the mall said sorry Edmonton we're going to be bigger than you 
<laughs> that's what the sign said, right? And that's where they have the indoor ski, uh, the indoor skiing uh, oh, wow. resort. Yeah. And it would be, if you imagine the old Bomber Stadium, at the top yeah. of the Bomber Stadium, and then you would ski all the way to Portage Avenue, like right over top of the, the shops at Polo Park. So that's how long Holy. the uh, the ski run Yeah. Uh, we didn't get in because they were a month or two behind schedule. And um, and I ran into a couple of buddies of mine from uh, from Australia that were building golf courses in Dubai with uh, IMG and Baker Fenton Group. So yeah, it was a it was a great four days. Yeah. And did they finish Amazing. the tallest tower the the four days later? Because they get they get stuff <laughs> done pretty fast there. <laughs> Yeah, where did you go this week? Well, I was in Dubai. <laughs> so, Quick turnaround. You know, the, the golf, yeah, the the trick shot show, which uh, you know sort of was in my career of, of fooling around, turned into a great travel trip and a lot of friendships. Um, oh. You know, even. Even uh, the days in Australia before I came back home, um, I never got in, introduced to Sandy the golfer, or Sandy, you know, the Canuck or the Yank. It was always, uh, you got to meet my buddy, the trick shot artist, you know. So, um, and my fellow golf pros on the senior tour uh, were the greatest. I mean, uh, I did my show and they all became my salespeople because they would say, you got to come and do that for my program at our club and you got to come for whatever festival is at our place. It's always going to get gigs all over Australia. And, For sure. Uh, fly in, fly out. Yeah. Sandy, uh, um, uh, one question I had about the trick shots is that recently there's been a lot of talk about Bryson DeChambeau using the longer driver to get more yardage. And I was yeah. curious, with your eight-foot driver, what kind of yardage are you, are you getting with that? Or is it... Uh, is it just kind of comically too long and, and you hit it out there? It's, uh, I, I did have a couple of shows where I did measure it, um, you know, because it's, it's a wowie in it. <laughs> but, you know, and, and, and uh, but there was 350, 400. Wow. Yeah. 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 So uh, pretty much uh, basically what I could hit with my driver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just what I mean. Well, I can just give me a workbench, I can make you one. Um, <laughs> the, I've been playing with a 49, 50 inch driver for 25 years at least. Um, so I'll give you a little story because Baker Finch is six foot five. And I was down playing with him, oh shit, 10 years ago down in Florida when he was, you know, falling apart and the game was over for him. And I can say that because we sat with a couple of glasses of red and talked about life as a, you know, what destroyed him. <laughs> but, you know, he'd, he'd always say to me, Jesus, Yank, I love your driver. And so I had this Cobra uh, driver that sounded like a pop can going off. And that was his nemesis. He he would have two tee shots, you know, and this is what you're watching on TV today. Guy has two tee shots and he's gone for the tournament. Uh, you know, you take two double bogeys, you you can't make eight birdies in a round. 
save your soul. So Finchie grabs my driver and it's longer, it's 50 inches. And, and at this stage, I'm 57 or something like that. And he's like 47. And uh, so he swings and hits it and drops the club and covers his ears because of the sound of the smack. <laughs> and then he turns to me and says, that is long. And I said, no, the T-shirt, the T-shot didn't look that long, right? He says, no, no, the club's long. <laughs> he says, as soon as I got it back in the takeaway, he says, my first thing says, holy shit, this club's long. <laughs> so a six foot five and a 50 inch driver, his windmill acting is like, you know, out of sight. And, and he laughed and I said, you know, we would be a hell of a player if you and I got married because I said, well, your short game and putter and my driver, we would have won everything, right? <laughs> so, uh, but, and then Wedgie Winchester wins, again, the, the long drive championship with a wooden-headed pin driver. So that's why we always knew about the length. I said, the only thing that I, I don't like about today's player, per se, is this, uh, got to go to the gym, got to go to the gym, got to go to the gym. Go to the gym, get fit for an hour, and get out and hit your practice balls for two hours. Because your practice balls are going to win you the tournament, not the gym work. I, and, can, uh, yeah. I can get behind that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. As, uh, you know, as Ben Hogan said, or Mo said, you got to dig it out of the dirt. Well, you're not digging it out of the dirt in the gym. Mm-hmm. And who's, all these guys have got back problems. They got leg problems. They got. You know, even even when I played pro hockey, we weren't allowed to go to the gym. <laughs> now it's like your body fat's got to be two percent, and you better do, do fifty five thousand hours a week in the gym to play pro hockey. Right. Yeah, and they're all they're all physical specimens. Yeah, give us a beer. I mean, everybody was overweight in September, <laughs> you know, and knew that they would <laughs> knew that they would. Uh, be losing weight by the time I got to January, right? So that's why the NHL and any pro league started off so slow because everybody was fat and lazy. Right. <laughs> but he had a contract from Buggy <laughs> Carpenter. Buggy Carpenter, again, for you guys, is like who cares? Um, Dougie Carpenter was my roommate in Greensboro. Became coach in New Jersey Devils and Toronto Michael Leafs at the end of his career. And, uh, so my first day in the training camp and Bongi comes in, he says, Sandy, I want you to drink. I want you to go to the bar at four o'clock with the boys. And I want you to drink beer and tomato juice until it comes out of your ears. And then I told the hotel to feed you as much food as you want. <laughs> he says, and I'm 160 pounds going into training camp. And he turns to this redhead beside me, who I don't even know his name at the time. He says, you, you've got a thousand dollar fine if you don't lose, uh, 20 pounds. Jeez. <laughs> so this redhead gets up, goes to the table, and there's a jar of Kramer heat rub, which, you know, you slap on your sore spot. So he slaps it all over his body, puts on a, a rubber rain jacket. Oh, no. All the gear. Like, I'm going to, you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die. You're going to be like, you better get out there. So, and it's, it's September, October weather. So it's really not cold in the rink. And he's skating. So, so long story short, we, you know, we go down to Greensboro and we go for weigh-in. 
And I get on the scales with the doctor, and the doctor says 185 pounds. I said, no, no, something's wrong. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm 160. He said, step back on the scale, I'm 185. So I put on Jeez. 25 pounds in two weeks at training camp. Wow. Skating, skating six hours a day. So then... What were you eating? No, oh, I was eating everything. I was pissed. <laughs> I was in bed by 8.30. <laughs> and, uh, and then... <laughs> Red goes in, he steps on the scale, and he, he's uh, 190. He dropped from 210 to 190. And uh, so we had to practice in Charlotte for the first couple of weeks because the basketball team had their training camp at, at the arena with uh, Pistol Pete Mayer, which was the star. And then, uh, so I get I get uh, Carp as my roommate and travel mate jump in the car at 8 o'clock in the morning. We're going to be on the ice at 10. And uh, we stop at this this corner store that, oh, man, you don't even want to go in there. He runs in, comes out with two six-packs of Bud. And I said, is this for the road home? He says, no, this is for the road to Charlotte. We'll get six more when we come home. <laughs> and I said, he says, uh, you can drink. Yeah, he says, you can drink. You're okay. He says, but I'm putting that 20 pounds back on because I can't play hockey at 90, 190 on, on defense. He says, it's 210. I'm a little bull. <laughs> and always will, you know. So, you know, thanks for the memories. These are, these are some of those laughables that, you know, uh, the movie Slapshot came from. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. that's fantastic. Well, so the first time. Yeah, going back to the trick shot, that's how it all started from, you know, being a junior kid at 14 to, to now still wishing I could get out there and do a show uh, at Heckler next summer. But Is that I was the plan? I supposed to do a show at for uh, Reggie Leach. Um, uh, Reggie's uh, tournament got canceled last summer because of COVID, and then even this year might not happen either. Yeah, well, hopefully it can get back on, but you're you're still doing trick shots then. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll uh, you know I'll, I'll do it. I might even do a, a small one for you know the campsites and the hotel people and and uh, you know because you can have fifty people, but I uh, could probably have a you know Reggie's hundred and sixty, but he needs to have the tournament and then go back to Riverton for four hundred people for dinner. So that's what the problem is. It's the dinner, not the golf. Oh, right. Yeah. Wow. Because it raises like 50000 for the for the township. Wow. So the the annual budget is raised in one tournament. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah. He's, he's a good golfer. I mean, him and Jamie, I mean, uh, you know, Reggie's, uh, I played, I played against Reggie and Junior when he, he played in Flint Swan. I played in Brandon. Oh, yeah. He's a... Yeah, Sandy, a, uh, Sandy I, uh, you had mentioned Vernon, BC there. And I was, yeah. I was curious how you got involved or how did you... How did uh, your path come around to, to there and and tell us about your time there? Well, the, when I decided to come home and... Um, in 
1986 when Jacqueline was born. And Margaret and I decided that we would, if we came back to Canada, we'd like to, you know, live in BC and not come all the way back to Winnipeg. So Keith Ferguson, who I used to travel with on tour, was a pro at Colchina Golf Club in, in, uh, in Vancouver. Great player, like in a sense, uh, he, he could, he won the BC Open as an amateur, you know, something like a McMillan that, you know, he, he won it as an uh, as an amateur, and then you come back and win it as a pro. And so the Ferg says, if you come back, come and work for me in, in uh, for a summer, and then we'll get you a club job somewhere. So then I got to Trail BC. Again, when I look at some of my career, it's like uh, when I went in for that board meeting with them, you know, here's a town my uncle made famous with the Trail Smoke Eaters. Uh, you know, a guy on the board uh, comes up to me and says, uh, I used to coach your dad and Terry Sochick in East Kildonan and I go what? Yeah. And then uh, so I go to trail for four years as as a pro and and doing my business and and then one day oh. I get a phone call. Sorry. I was gonna say local hero. Yeah. Yeah. And uh good town, good hockey town, uh great place to live. You know, you got Nelson Castlegar Trail. And then uh, because we were dealing with Les Ferber, who was building golf courses across Canada, uh, Kananaskis, and he redid uh, Pine Ridge, and he built Morden, uh, you know, for the backyard for you guys to know. And and uh, what Les did was he used to put anybody he liked on his list, which was a general manager, a superintendent, and a golf pro. So wherever he went, and somebody says... Uh, Hey, I, you know, I'm going to build a golf course where I find my staff. And he would give the list out and we'd all get interviews. So I went for about three interviews and I said, let's just give me spots in BC or Alberta, but nothing in Manitoba at that time. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I don't blame you, know, I guess. <laughs> so then Margaret and I kind of said, Hey, uh, Let's stop this because every time we go for an interview, it's like our brain goes, we're going to move, we're going to go, will they give us what we want, blah, blah, blah. So I uh, I said, so I get a phone call from David who was on this list of staff and he says, Daddy, I want your resume. And I said, no, read my lips. Take me off the list. I'm going to sit and trail for another four years and, and grow with my family. Nope, I'm putting you in. And I'm going, well, what golf course now? Because I haven't heard anything on the grapevine that's new. And he said, you know that property up in Vernon? I said, yeah. He said, well, it's going. And we're going to call it Predator Ridge Resort. Wow. And I went, okay. So um, there's, he said, there's only five guys, five professionals that are going in for the job. And they're all handpicked to start with. They're not just up against 450 applications. And Les and I uh, decided we're going to pick you as our pro to put in the hat. And there's four of us from Canada and one from England in the hat. And this is 1990, going into 91. And uh, I win the position. And at that stage, we only have, uh, we have 18 holes cut out of the dirt. We have nothing in grass. 
Mm-hmm. Nothing in sand. It's like the. It's like my major. It was like going to get my uh, master's degree and building a golf course. Amazing. And Sandy, just for our listeners here, uh, Predator Ridge is now in the in the top fifty of Canada yeah. courses rated every year. Uh, I think I looked it up last year. It was like number twenty eight across the country. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, and and at one time would have been in the top ten because before the explosion right behind us across the country, right? Like we were, yeah. we were number one in the country at one point because Herb Patterson from Titleist and Barry Wheeler from Titleist UK were were partners in this, and they had. $500 million in their pocket to build anything they wanted because they wow. sold their, they sold their companies back to the, to the parent in USA title. Is that a lot of money? Oh, <laughs> just, just being, just, yeah, being, I know. A, just being a jerk. <laughs> yeah. So I get this gig and I go up there and we're sitting in a trailer on the hill and dirt and the rock pickers are coming in. Um, there's one night I got to get there at four in the morning to let the pup truck, uh, trucks in from, from the Rockies with the white silica sand. We got, uh, uh, uh trailers coming to build the pro shop and the, and the restaurant for the first two years until we build the major clubhouse. Um, then, uh, we, we get, we get into close to July opening and, uh, and David says to me, he says, uh, we got to get sand in every bunker you can see from the top of the ridge so that when a person comes up and they see this place, they go, wow. But it rained so much that we couldn't get trucks out there to put the sand in. So he says, call uh, the helicopter companies in Kelowna and see what it's going to cost us to drop sand for three days. <laughs> so I come back with $300,000. And he oh, my says, gosh. He says, book it. So for three days, we're dropping sand into the bunkers with helicopters. And and, uh, and this is what, this is only 20 bunkers, guys. What is that? 300,000 bunkers to 20 bunkers. We have, we have 186 bunkers on the golf course. That's amazing. <laughs> and everything that you just saw on that website is what I sat in meetings planning back in 91, 92, 93. An in, in engineering feat. Yeah. And then uh, we hosted the BC Open in 93. And the week before, I played an exhibition with uh, John Daly at Predator as another promotion. The John Daly? Yeah. I had, uh, I had a day with, with John. And uh, so you got to picture this. I mean, we got, we got 2,000 people bought tickets for the exhibition. And 200 people bought tickets for the lunch and the practice uh, session on the driver range, right? And have lunch with him. So he gets there late from flying in. He goes down and does the exhibition. And I'm not really thrilled with his long drives, you know. But when he started hitting wedges, I went, oh, now's the talent. Here comes the talent. You know, because everybody else hits a wedge at 100, and he's hitting it at 150. So we go up for lunch, you know, and I'm, I'm doing my thing of getting things organized and 
but we really haven't talked to each other yet. And so I look around the, the, the dining room and there's no John Bailey. He's hiding out in the men's locker room. Well, you got 200 people having lunch. So I go down and, and his caddy's down there and him. And I said, what's up? He says, I can't go near the bar. I just come out of the Betty Ford and I can't, I can't be anywhere that somebody's going to hand me a drink because I'll just fall off the world again. Wow. Uh, okay, I understand. All right, I understand. So now it's come time to play. And, you know, now the people, the 2,000 people have arrived and, and we're going to the first tee and I come running out of the pro shop late and he's antsy. He wants to get this over with, you know. <laughs> and so the other two guys have already hit and John has whacked it and I run up onto the tee. My caddy's there who is my superintendent. He's going to caddy for me in the middle of the show. And... And John looks at me and I look at John and I said, Hey, I play with guys that hit it past you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what? I said, I play with guys that hit it past you. Well, name them. I said, Well, there's Stephanie Bellasteros and there's Greg Norman and there's George Bell. He said, George Bell's a baseball player. And I said, No, George Bell in Australia is a golfer who hit it 555 yards onto a par five and then four putted for a par. <laughs> and he said, he looks at me, he says, what can you do? I said, Hey, I'm 45 years old and I'm normal. <laughs> so I grab a ball and tee it up and he, he stops me and he says, no, 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 no. Back where I teed it up because the gallery is pushed in me. So now I got to go to the black tee and I tee it up, and you got to picture this. There's a commercial where, you know, the one guy leaves the separation of the gang because it's like he's got a, a bad disease, you know, like who's that? So I snap up his ball over onto, onto uh, the next fairway, like miles, and uh, and everybody's on a rush to go down the fairway and, and they're walking. Now i got to leave 2,000 people all by myself and walk out to this other fairway to hit my ball. And my caddy doesn't come with me. He's walking with John. How do you like my golf course so far? You know, like you only walk 200 yards. <laughs> so I, I yell at Margaret. I said, Margaret, get a hold of Jimmy. I need a club. So the next thing you know, this club comes flying out <laughs> across the fairway like a helicopter. <laughs> which is a free wood for my second shot. Nobody in the, in the fans are stopping waiting for me, which is shouldn't, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So I stand up and I will follow where everybody's heads down the fairway. And I wind up on a pinnacle and, uh, like a pinnacle peak. And I've got probably somewhere around the hundred yard mark to get back to the green. And people are marching underneath me and I'm up on the slope and I punch a eight iron onto the green and, and this is like the British Open. I had to thread myself through the people to get on the green. And and Daly's standing there looking at me like, oh, pro, you're a basket case. You know? <laughs> yeah, who, who invited you? Yeah, who invited you? <laughs> so then the next hole, he, uh, he kind of given me the, okay, Sam, what's the target? Like, and I and I've got an iron in my hand for the tee shot, and he's got his killer whale, Wilson. 
in those days before he signed with Cobra. And this thing went off like a pop can when he hit it. So I said, well, you know, you just want to hit an iron down there, John. He said, I'm going to hit no goddamn iron. They came to see me hit a driver. <laughs> and he said, why aren't you hitting a driver? And I said, because I promised my boss that I would never hit a driver on the sea ever again because I'm coming in here at two and three under par and I take a double at this hole all the time because I run out of room. Mm. He says, shut up, hit the driver. <laughs> so I look at Barry because Barry is standing beside me and Barry says, give it to him. So I stand up, I whistle his driver about 290 down the middle. John gets up and hits this big carving slice into the, I know it's going to the ditch and into the ditch, it's going to be a lost ball. And I said, do you want to hit another one? Because that'll be in the creek. He said, well, fuck, they'll find it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, and, uh, so we marched down there, two, you know, 2,000 people, they find it. And he whacks it out and makes full. Yeah. And then uh, we get to uh, we get to the 14th hole, par 5, just like the 18th hole at Pebble Beach, right? The tree's on the right, so you know if you hit it by the tree, it's 300 off the tee, and you're in the good zone. And then we had water hazard all the way down the left side for 500 yards on an elevated green. It played at 587. Wow. So he says, he says, Dan, what's, uh, what's the shot? And I said, well, the tree on the right is 300. Your target line, your target line is straight down the tie wall at the 150 post. Got it? Yeah, okay, good. You go first. Like the, my, our two amateur buddies that, you know, drew prizes to play with us, they've already hit. And they're hitting off the white tee. So I hit it 300 to the tree. And one of, one of the things I do when I'm teaching people or playing with somebody good, I just stare at the golf ball when they swing and I wait for the sound. And uh, so John is winding up and I'm just staring at his golf ball and pop. And I went, holy crap, that was good. And he comes out of the swing and he looks at me and he says, yeah. swear word, that was <laughs> nailed. That it's, was, that it's okay to swear. Perfect. So then this thing sailed down the tie wall into the zone and uh, right where I told him to hit it. Right? Was so it pop can? With that pop can driver, right? Jeez. No. Yeah. And one question. And then, yeah. How many, how many Diet Cokes did John have by that point? <laughs> oh, geez. he has a carton of cigarettes in his golf bag. He wakes <laughs> them up, throws them down, never picks them up. <laughs> then, then he had he had the the coke can going, oh, but yeah. no booze, yeah. right? Yeah. And, um. So yeah, he's he's like, like going, man, you are, you know, like I run with some sick guys, but you are a beauty, <laughs> and and uh, but a great guy, right? So, yeah. um, I knife a four iron into the neck of the par five. And I've got a hundred in, and he's got a seven iron hole. So between my tee shot and his ball, I had 150 steps. He hit it 150 yards past me. Whoa! Wow. He covered 450 yards of the par five. Jeez. And you weren't and you weren't using your eight foot driver. <laughs> no, I had my I had my 50 incher. Oh, your 50 incher. Okay. My 50 inch, right? And then uh, 
he hits the seven iron. You know, he's got he's got the seven iron into the green, and it's a little windy, so it gusts up, and he just gets on the front edge of the green. So he's got about a ninety foot eagle putt, and uh, I knife it into about four feet, and uh, he two putts for birdie. I one putt for a birdie, and we're walking off the green. And I said to him, "I said, what did you make there?" And he just turned around and punched me one right in the in the solar plexus, <laughs> just hammered me. Up. He said, "Pro, good one, <laughs> right?" <laughs> <laughs> so the next day, he's flapping his pants for a tee, and he's got no tee, and goes over and he grabs a, a beer can out of somebody's hand and empties it out and he said, I'll buy you another beer in a minute. And plunks it down, upside down so the ball's in the well of the base of the beer can, right? Or a pop can. Yeah. And he knocks it down there about just short of 300. So I'm tee up and I like normal wooden tee. And I'm going through my wiggle waggle and I, I swing back and he steps into me. He steps right into my golf thing. And I, I, I can't go forward and I, I hit him in the shoulder. And up? He says, hang on a minute. And everybody's laughing. Eh? He goes in, gets another pop can, puts it down, puts the ball in the pop can and he says, you. And I hit the ball right beside him. <laughs> nice. And I turned to him and I said, John, I'm older than you and I've done this before. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, we go through the finish. He shoots 66. I shoot 69. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Part of 73. And then we get in the clubhouse and he goes back into the dungeon of of the basement of the men's locker room and hides out. And we got 2,000 people looking for autographs. So I said to him, I said, you sit here. I'm going to go up and collect stuff. And you sign it, and I'll take it back. He said, perfect. Thanks. So we have an hour and a half of this going on. And then finally I said, the clubhouse is empty. Everybody's left the building. My chef is upstairs. Uh, Margaret, my wife and daughter, um, and the superintendent. And we got a pizza going. No booze soft drinks. So he came up and sat for another hour before he had to go catch his flight. Wow. And uh, so that was the day, right? Yeah. So 20 years later, 20 years later, I go to the Masters and uh, as a spectator? As a spectator, yeah. As a player, no hope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, played the I played in the Australian Masters twice. I played in the <laughs> Netherlands Masters twice or three times at the U.S. Masters. Eh, spectator. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, so, you, you've got a picture that he's got his entourage of his trailer and selling thousands of dollars at Hooters. So we come out of the Masters and we go to Hooters to meet up with uh, <laughs> with another couple that we took down there. And I get to the, the, the you know, 15, 15 uh, banquet tables lined up around the, the trailer. And this girl with the hat on, sunglasses, ponytail, working the counter. She said, can I help you? And I said, yeah. Who's John Bailey? <laughs> 
you come to the Masters and you don't know who John Daly is? I said, no, is he playing? Well, no, he's not playing because he didn't qualify. <laughs> yeah, yada, yada. Has he ever won anything? <laughs> he won the British Open, the PGA. No, it still doesn't ring a bell. And he says, he's the one that wears loudmouth pants on television. Oh, that guy. <laughs> oh, loudmouth. I got a couple. Have you got any shorts? <laughs> now, he says, yeah, we do. I said, I'd love to buy some shorts. So she marshaled me down to the loudmouth stuff, and I pick out a pair of red and white shorts, and $100, right? And uh, I, I said, uh, listen, do, should I get a size up? Because the ones I have, I had to get a size up from a 38 to a 40, blah, blah, blah. She said, no, they fit. I said, I'm not giving you 100. <laughs> Getting home to the hotel and find a note that I got stiff. <laughs> well, try them on. I said, fine. So I dropped my shorts, and I'm trying on the shorts in front of her. Security's <laughs> coming over. What's going on? I said there, I said, uh, excuse me. She said, now what the hell do you want? Right? She's pissed with me. I said, uh, I said, I, I, uh, I played an exhibition game with John. Are you kidding me? I said, no, we played at Predator Ridge, an exhibition game. And I said, I know everybody at Loudmouth Golf. And, and I've, I've known John for 20 years. <laughs> he hauls off and hits me once. You son of a gun, right? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And I said, where is he? He's well, he's doing a gig. He should be back. If you're going in for a beer, come back and find him. He'd love to talk to you. And I said, yeah, he's going to remember me. So we go in, come back, and and, and no, it's just, I'm putting my pants back on. And, <laughs> and sure enough, at the end of the <laughs> end of the trailer, yeah, here, you know, right here at the end of the trail, he turns with his golf clothes with his, on his shoulder, and he says, like, hi, hon, I'm home. And she says, this asshole beside me wants to talk to you. <laughs> and he looks at me like, I have no idea, because now I'm I'm really bald comparing to half bald, right? Oh, yeah. So he looks at me, and he says, like, give me a minute, I got to go out. So I wait, somebody attacks him, and I wait for that, and then I go over and I stick my hand out and I said, "John, uh, we played together uh, at Predator Ridge in an exhibition." And his, out of his mouth came, "Sandy, that's twenty years ago now." Wow! I said, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> he says, "There's things I remember, and there's things I have no idea that happened." <laughs> <laughs> amen. And so we, yeah, amen. If you saw, like, so we had a good sit chat for fifteen minutes and and uh, and uh, chat chat and stuff like that. And then so you know, take yeah. care, come back and see me. Yeah, okay, John. So then, yeah. Then two years later, I go again, and and on the Monday, and the table getting set up, and I said to this young girl, I said. Tell Mrs. Daly I'm back. And she yells, Mrs. Mrs. Daly, he's back. And she turns and goes, Sandy, what the heck? Right? <laughs> and then I, I buy another pair of shorts. Uh, and the young girl says, do you want a autograph? I says, is John here? She says, yeah, he's in, the, he's in in a meeting, but he said he'd sign things. So I, I gave her my business card with the gold falcon on it. And uh, she goes in, gets it signed. She's coming out the door laughing and giggling. And, and 
I said, what's up? And she said, are you the bald falcon? I said, yeah. <laughs> and she said, she said, come and visit them tonight when you get out of the Masters at 4, 5, 6 o'clock. Tell them to come and find me. Right. So I, yeah. I went back and had another chit chat with him. So I, you know, I love the man. He's, he's got a lot of mm-hmm. demons, but mm-hmm. man, he could play. He still can play. Well, well it, uh, it sounded like Daly uh, had some fashion sense, even. 20 years prior to you meeting him at the Masters there at uh, at Predator Ridge because there was an article that I had found that he was uh, he was making fun of your golf shirt and your slow play on the green. Oh yeah. <laughs> there was uh, it was a story in the Vernon Vernon Morning Star. Are you familiar with the Vernon Morning Star? Oh yeah, yeah. Kevin Mi- Kevin Mitchell Kevin, wrote an article. Good guy, terrific guy. Yeah. yeah. If I can, if I can read some of this, uh, it says uh, I was lucky enough to follow John Daly practically running around Predator Ridge in '93. He takes about two seconds before making a shot. Daly picked on smiling Predator Pro Sandy Kersiba, ripping him for slow pill slow play on the greens and making fun of his golf shirt. And then there's a, there's a quote here that from, uh, from Daly, you take all the time and leave it two feet short, shouted Daly to Kersiva <laughs> after a marathon putt on number 10. <laughs> and then later on 13 Daly yelled, are you awake down there? As Kersiva checked out another monster putt. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a, a, as I said, you you got to put the needle in right away. Just and which, if the needle comes in right away, then then your partner likes you, right? Yeah, yeah, right. If, no, if nobody's talking to you, you know you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the same thing in a relationship, right? In a marriage. Like, yeah, and Ron actually said to me when we were having that pizza that night, he looked at me and he says, "You're the first pro that I played with in all my exhibitions." that I never got the feeling wanted to beat me. And I said to him, I said, this is your show, not mine. I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I got to tag along and not be a spectator too. And then that's when he said, where did you play? And I said, well, I played down under for 15 years. He said, well, that now makes sense. Because mm-hmm. I walked the golf course like I knew what I was doing. And, you know, other than getting ribbed about my, uh, you know, it's like when I watch the guys on TV today, like line up your, 14 yeah. uh, alignments you, on your ball and your putter head and, and uh, stand over your do ball. You, do, you, uh, do you remember what shirt you were wearing that day? Yeah, it was fairway blues that Phil Mickelson and and uh, uh, Freddie Couples, it was the, the in thing. Uh, Finchie won it, you know, when he won the, when the, won the British Open, he was wearing fairway blues. Okay. Did you have have your color popped? Well, this one was a blue, white, uh, like a tie dye. Okay. Wow. Yeah, it was like a tie dye, white and powder blue, and you know, the end thing of the day. (laughs) (laughs) And he had, you see the picture? He's got the great big uh, rugby league stripes. Oh yeah. Yeah, that was like his vintage look. Yeah. That was him. He had the big bright uh, shirt. Mm-hmm. So, but he was, yeah, he was on my case. With, uh, you know, I get over my putt and do my thing, and and that's what I mean about him wanting to play fast. We played, 
we played uh, in three hours. I'm walking that golf course. There's nobody will really want to walk it. It's cart. Oh, you yeah. know, you wouldn't want to take it. Unless you're a mountain goat, because it, <laughs> it has some good skills. <laughs> it was a great, a great track. It was one of the, you know, like uh, to be part of building it. It was, and then even the the BC Open, which Canadian Tour, and Eric would, uh, he, uh, Kevin said to me, "What do you think the winning score would be?" And I'm going, "I'm going to go 1400, par 73, 1400." Like, the guy shoots, uh, shoots that he'll win it. So Eric Woods, who at that time was the Order Mayor winner on Canadian Tour, little blonde, five foot ten from California that could play, he shoots sixty six, sixty six to open up on Thursday, Friday. He's fourteen under par after two days, and my fourteen under for four days is just shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you you missed that mm-hmm. call. Yeah, lucky Mother Nature came to play, and <laughs> he backed it up. With with even par for the next two days and one by three. <laughs> under par. <laughs> uh, you're, the only you're reason man. I still you know, know that story is because I got a list of so many guys that played that year that, you know, the Aussies and the Yanks that all became tour players on the PGA Tour and now are commentating or back home in Australia together. So, uh, yeah. So for, for me, being a golf pro of, of playing inside the ropes to putting the ropes up for four Canadian tour events in my life and two school for five years and watching Nota Begay come and Scott McCarran and um, you know, Nota was a good one. It took him five years to, to get to the American mm-hmm. tour, but then he could play. Yeah. Well, uh, um, I don't want to keep you forever we'll have to have you back on the pod at some point because i'm oh, sure the, like the stories are going to be incredible but uh, before we go we're going to do a little thing I, I know mike's got a few questions a back nine lightning okay. round where just the first thing that pops into your head to these questions it could be about golf could be about not golf uh, but i just want to okay. see see what your answers are to some of these questions okay mike yeah Great. Yeah. yeah most of them are are golf related but yeah just a uh a quick response and, and we'll, we'll run through it. It's called the back nine lightning round. Right now we only have seven questions, but uh, uh, it, it, that's what it is right now. So the first one, uh, uh, have you ever got a hole in one and, uh, or how many hole in ones have you got? I have eight. Eight? Four in, four wow. in, Australia, four in Australia, two in the States and two in Canada. Amazing. And during like a competition? Yeah, four of them and I won nothing. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> no card? Well, all the cards and money were on other holes. <laughs> oh, no. Next one here. Recent rule changes allow you to putt with the pin in. Do you, do you putt with the pin in now or do you still putt with it out? I love it in. It, it, it gives you a new visual and, uh, you know, it speeds up play. So I play with the pin in and, uh, I, I love that rule. I agree. I, I'm a pin in guy myself. JR, what do you, are you uh, pin in, pin no, out? I, I haven't come around to it yet. Like if I want to play fast and yeah, I'll, I'll leave it in. But, but if not, I still like that sound of the ball rattling at the bottom of the cup. Yeah. Yeah. 
well, you four footers pull it out, but you know anything else. <laughs> yeah. Outside four feet. For, for me, it's for me, it's two feet. <laughs> two feet, I'll pull it out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a gimme outside five of that. Foot, five foot gimmies, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Uh, next one here. Uh, what what is the most memorable course you've ever played? Top course. You say, wow, that that's the pinnacle of courses I've ever played. Um. Australia that I got to play Royal Melbourne, which is famous oh, for wow. for being in the top five of mm-hmm. the world ever. Uh, you know, they, if anything goes to Australia, they're going to play like Tigers going there, the the President's Cup going there. So playing Royal Melbourne, the composite course, because there's 36 holes there. So they okay. take, you know, six, eight holes from this course and 12 from that hole. So you don't get to play it unless you play all 36. So even as a golf pro to go there, you've got to sort of plan it when it's quiet so that you can say, can I go and play the composite court? You know, so Royal Melbourne for Australia. And then, uh, you know, got to build Predator Ridge. Um, and then down in Phoenix is uh, Dinosaur at Gold Canyon. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Yeah. We'll have to yeah. check that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I did my show at Pebble, so I played. I played 10 holes at Pebble Beach. Oh, wow. Nice. I snuck on the golf course to play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, JR, JR, you, you got spyglass under your belt? Got yeah. spyglass. Oh, that's that's, awesome. Yeah. I walked it. That's a great one. I only remember the first six holes. <laughs> <laughs> it turned into my stag, so we won't get into that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, Sandy, uh, uh, so where, where do you like to play regularly? You know, like where's your, your go-to course, wherever it be, you just, you're comfortable, you're at ease, you're in your Zen zone. What course would that be? Uh, well, I've always had from growing up in Winnipeg, Falcon Lake has always been, my favorite track to play. Yeah. Uh, the other ones, like for all the city courses, they got changed, you know, redesigned. So the golf courses I grew up playing as a junior and into the early years of pro are not the same. St. Charles changed, Glendale changed, Napa changed, they all changed, right? Except for stupid Elmers. Um, <laughs> but, but you take Falcon Lake, it's 6,000 yards long, no, 7,000 yards long. It has a par five at 600 yards hole that was built in the 50s. So it's like 30 years ahead of schedule. The, yeah. the, the tree line, the, the greens, it, it's one golf course. You would, I, I talked to many guys that played and I said, what would you change? And we all said nothing. Because if you want to play it from 7,000 yards, you got to shoot your bum off. Mo Norman used to stop at Falcon every time he came to Manitoba Open and played Falcon because he could come into Winnipeg and play any other golf course easy. But yeah, Falcon for home. I think in my world travels of the States, I would pick Dinosaur at Gold Canyon. Mm -hmm. It was uh, one of the number one public golf courses. uh, And you got views of the desert from every which angle. The golf course is built really fair and shot making terrific. And if you said, "Hey, let's go tomorrow," I'll be on the wagon with you. <laughs> Perfect. You're you're yeah. you're buying. Well, uh, 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get the uh, the private bird going, and we'll be down there after a quick COVID test, and uh, we'll be out there next week. We'll, we'll so, get the we'll get the Kelowna helicopters. Well, one quick is when Anne, my my partner in life today, her and I first got together, and I pulled a, a little joke on Paul Albertson, as in. Paul Albertson, oh, yeah. billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> All Pauling, right? Yeah. So Paul would always say to me when he came to visit me at Falcon was, have you played Sawgrass? Have you played Sawgrass? And I said, no. Well, you got to play Sawgrass. I said, no. no. If I go past it, maybe. But I'm not going there special. You only got one hole to play anyway. Right, yeah. The 17th hole. So I said to his, secretary one day in August, I said, now listen, and, and Ian Sarna, who runs Clear Lake and Bell Acres, is partners in, with Paul and a friend of mine. I said, Judy, put it in his notepad, like his diary, that come January, you promised to take Sandy to the PGA show in Florida and to go play Sawgrass. So a month goes by, and I get this phone call from Judy, can you stop by the office? I said, yeah. And I had to get some sponsorship stuff or something. So I get in there and she says, uh, Paul's in his office. And she, so I go and see Paul and he says, <laughs> he shows me around the office and then he says, I'll meet you in the boardroom. And I go, oh, okay, this is really official. So Judy's in there, I'm in there, I sit down and and uh, he walks in and he, he sits down and he looks at me and he looks at Judy and says, Sandy, you're in charge of getting everything set up for the PGA Shore in Orlando. And Judy, you get the hotel and accommodations and the golf all set up at Sawgrass. The wheels are up at 10 and don't be late. Oh, wow. And I gone, are you kidding me? <laughs> this is just costing $5,000. <laughs> and so I looked at Judy and she says, uh, get on it because you're going. So now I phone Sarna. And, and Woody, uh, 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 who's at St. Boniface, who used to work at Bell Acres, and Jeff Hyland, my assistant at, at Falcon, we're all going, right? And and the two pilots. So we get down, we fly down to the, we're getting them, and Dennis Clark is an old friend from hockey and, and uh, Dawson, and he ran Guardwine Trucking, so he worked for Paul for years. He said, he phoned me, he said, Sandy, make sure you're a clean fox. And I said, what? I said, yeah. He said, you can't, you can't go on Paul's plane with a dirty fox or a hole in your sock because you're going to have to take your shoes off. <laughs> <laughs> I went, oh, okay. And then I phoned Judy and I said, okay, I need some protocol on this. Yeah, you have to, you got to take your shoes off. And oh, by the way, you can't wear any blue jeans on his, on his plane either. No blue jeans on the leather seat. Okay. So the night before, Anne's down in Florida already, and uh, and she's coming to Sawgrass with us to play. And uh, so she says, cut a hole in your sock, paint your big toenail, and when you take your shoes off, they'll go crazy. So I do this, right? I, and he's standing guard. He's on first, and we're all taking our shoes off, and he looks down at my foot and sees my toe and he says make sure we don't get arrested because you're going to look awful funny in jail <laughs> and 
and now everybody's looking at my feet and then <laughs> starting to go, oh no. And Paul says, you better not get arrested this trip because Sandy will get a deal. He'll get in the wrong cell with somebody. <laughs> and I go, are you kidding me? And then, and then he tells me the story of a few years back where him and Sarna got into the wrong zone of Orlando. Oh no. And wound up in the, wound up in the tank and had to get somebody to bail him out. Jeez. <laughs> so oh, no. they go and they have a great time at the PGA show and, you know, and, and I'm hoping that the accommodation I booked, which was right beside the Bahama Breeze, where everybody hangs out at the show. And, uh, you know, because here's the guy that's got no problem in his pocket. And uh, so he comes down from his room and I said, you okay? He says, fine. I canceled my booking at the Peabody. So <laughs> 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 then uh, he says, like, with Annie coming to Sawgrass, um, and flying home with us. And I said, you know, I got to pay something for this. And he says, no, no, don't even think about it. So we were running, we were running at $1,100 a day for lunch. And we were running around 1400 to $1,500 a day for, for dinner with, with six, seven of us, right? Because <laughs> we're not getting the $1.99 bottle <laughs> yeah. of red for dinner. Yeah, you're not, you're not and, going uh, through McDonald's. We're going to all his favorite places in Orlando. So we get over to Sawgrass and we're going to play three rounds of Sawgrass. We're going to play um, first day on Sawgrass, the second day on the, on the other course and then back to Sawgrass. And it's, you got to stay in the hotel, which is 500 a night for, and your green fees are included in the hotel. So the first day, Woody's not playing. And, and Ann's going to play with uh, Jeff and I and Paul. And, and Annie's just started golf. So we, a $500 green fee, she's playing with a five iron and a putter on sawgrass. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we're coaching her all the way around. So now <laughs> you guys would love this because you watch the tournament and Ann and I just giggle and so did so did Paul and, and Jeff when we were watching Sawgrass and the 17th. So I'm coming into 16, the par five, and my phone goes off, and it's my dad in Winnipeg. And what did you shoot? How did you like Sawgrass? How did you get on 17? And I'm going, Dad, I'm just from the 16th fairway, and <laughs> I'll phone you when I get in the clubhouse. So dad being coach. And this one was going to hang up on him. He says, Dan, I said, what? He said, no matter where the flagstick is on 17, go for it. Okay, thanks, Dad. See ya. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and the thing was, I said to the group at dinner the night before, I said, anybody makes two on 17 physically has to pay for dinner. Paul does not pay for dinner. <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. But, <laughs> yeah. So, I, uh, I'm birdie 16. We get to 17, and uh, I look at the flagstick. I could see it from the 16th fairway, but I really didn't focus. But when we get to, to 17, the flagstick is where it is on Sunday afternoon in the tournament. It's in that right corner behind the track. Incredible. It, what are it, the chances? It, what are the chances of having the flagstick there? Mm. So, Jeff gets up first. He gives a little body swivel and knocks the ball and down the tie wall. And 
I get up, teed up, and I look at the flag stick, and I start to giggle to myself. And then I said to myself, I said, so, bro, if you got any talent left, let's see if you got any talent left. <laughs> Knock down eight iron, hit it flush right at the flag stick, suck it back to three feet below the cup. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and Jeff goes and knocks two more in the water. Then we go up to the forward field <laughs> with Addie, and she knocks three in the water. Mm-hmm. But her first ball was, was oh, my God, because she hit the tie wall, went up and hit the tie wall. Oh, Third yeah. time on the tie wall, we're stopped <laughs> in the water, right? Perfect. And then Paul proceeds. So there's there's nine balls in the water, and me sitting three feet from the top. And the caddy knows it because we got a caddy for you know another hundred and a half. Mm-hmm. And he says he's, he's caddied on tour, and he says to me, he says, "Sandy, you're not going to make this putt." And I said, "No, I'm not going to make this putt." And he says, "You have a three foot putt with a three foot break. So what are your chances, pal? Yeah. Be like." Like Hama or Homo, whatever, yesterday, yeah, right? Yeah. No, Back people, people, yeah. 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 So then I tell the caddy that I told him that anybody makes two pays the dinner tab and it's been running 1500. <laughs> he said, You're not going to make it flat. <laughs> yeah. not, not a chance Arnold, of Helen making and that. The, <laughs> the pilots are over on 16 and they can see that I'm sitting there. And they're yelling, it's good, pick it up. It's good, pick it up. <laughs> and even the second round, I made uh, airmail the seven iron over the, like they put flag at the back of the, in the second round we had. And Wendy, and I, I went seven iron, and Woody was standing in the middle of the green, and he's watching it coming, and wind stopped and just floated into the water at the back. Mm. So I made three and four on, on 17. Oof. And, you know, guys, if I said go and play it, I would say there's really one hole on that golf course. Yeah. The rest, really, you know, they're, they're okay, but nothing that I'm going to say. You've got to play in 17 and 14 and 22. Uh, the 17th hole is the only hole that, is, you know, it's famous. The same as playing Augusta number 12. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I guess we've got a few, like 16 and 12. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. Have you ever played Glendale? Yeah. Okay, the 16th hole at Glendale, the green is the same shape as the 16th at Augusta. Oh, really? Hmm. Good to know. Yeah, to the bottom. Hmm. If you if you did an overlay of the two greens, I bet you so many inches the difference. Well, really? So it's funny that you you mentioned Augusta because the next question in my back nine lightning round is: Do you have a bucket a bucket list course that you've never played before that you would love to play? First, I'd go to St Andrews and then Augusta, the home of golf. Yeah, Mike. Uh, Mike's played there, not Augusta, but St. Andrews. Andrews. Yeah, I, I had to be, I had the opportunity to play St. Andrews uh, last year. I think that's the only reason Jr. Uh, invited me on this podcast. <laughs> I, I don't have a good. Uh, I don't know anything about golf, and I and I don't know anything about broadcasting. But I did go to Scotland once, and I played eighteen holes. Well, you're doing good so far. Yeah, uh, yeah. Check, check, check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was an amazing experience. Uh, I, 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 
I'm sure you could get a tea time very easily. I uh, I waited in queue uh, from 2:30 a.m. in the morning on the North Sea uh, to get on, and and it was just an amazing experience. And I, I did get on, and and it was it was it was great. Like it was it was unbelievable. So uh, yeah. and I I think I I got like a a 90 93 or something like pretty well beyond my expectations uh it's not a very long course and it wasn't windy that day (laughs) oh man that's that's a lot yeah you know and and for me for me that i've traveled with you know some no-name players as well as superstars and when we sit and have a beer and talk about san andrews or augusta or or you know pebble and and I've had friends win at these places, right? And yeah. Gary Player was my locker mate in, in the Canadian PGA in Edmonton in 1980. So, <laughs> um, you know, that you get to sit and talk with guys that have been there forever and will forever. So, but, you know, the, the St. Andrews is the same as Bobby Jones come home and said, I'm going to build St. Andrews USA. And yeah. that was successful. Yeah. And it's yeah. both both incredible. Yeah. Are you going to go? Why aren't you going to go? You got to go. <laughs> well, it's, yeah. Uh, actually, it's, it's one of those things that I, I if this COVID yeah. cracks, I got a buddy uh, in London that I looked after on the Canadian tour and, and uh, a couple more guys that way that, you know, would love to flip up to uh, Glasgow for a day and, and uh, play. I bet. So it's, yeah, it's there. Like Augusta, I've walked it like four times, you know, and uh, uh, would love to play it. Um, but I think St. Andrews, I mean, going back to my Jack Nicholas and watching him stand up at 18 and knock the ball through the green to win the British Open at 18 and almost out of bounds to lose it. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the small ball days. That's another thing that, that uh, you guys wouldn't know about is my Aussie days in the 70s, I played with the English ball, not the American ball. And there was no sales of American balls in, in, down under. So I had to go and learn how to chip and cut and mm. calibrate uh, playing with a small ball. Huh. Wow. And I, I, I think that was one of the one of the questions JR uh, had mentioned before we were going to talk to you is just, well, how much smaller is that that ball, that small ball? Yeah. U.S. is 1.68, and the American ball is 1.62. So it doesn't sound like a lot, uh, like six points the difference. Yeah. But, but size, hand, size does matter. The size does matter. And, and if we played with a small ball in Canada, it goes further. Uh-huh. Wow. I played, I, you know, in time I've played with a small ball at home here, just in, in fun rounds. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's a club, club and a half longer because of the atmosphere. Oh yeah, sign yeah. me up. Easy yeah. way to get and, more distance. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then uh, yeah. and then Sandy, uh, okay. two more here in this the quickest uh, back nine we've ever had. <laughs> um, uh, so career, what's your career low round? Not even in a competition, just lowest recorded score. At a golf course, sixty. Whoa. And I won by wow. one. And I won by one. <laughs> and 
Irish Rovers Pro-Am in, on Vancouver Island. And uh, I shot, I, I birdied the 18th hole and I still thought that I'd run second because the year before there was a guy that shot 59. It was a mid-sized golf course, so you could, you could get really rolling. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, uh, and I had seven Canadian tour players in the field that I taught. Right. Like, so I'm the old man at 45 and these are my, my youngsters at 25 that are playing the Canadian tour and listening to Sandy golf swing and thoughts and play. And, uh, and I stood up and shot 60 and beat them all. And wow. And I showed the gang that I could still play this game. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Uh, I set, I set five course records in Australia, uh, 60, 66 being all the same numbers. Do you still hold any of those course records, you know? or uh, No, I don't know. Um, the, we'll call them for you. Yeah, okay, thanks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll do a research. I back in the 70s to come back in the 80s and go back and play courses that I, you know, shot 87 on and and hold the course record for 66. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that type of thing is, you know, I, even Freezy Bend, my first Manitoba Open, I shot 87, 86 at Freezy Bend mm-hmm. when I was 19. And, you know, uh, like, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I come back 15 years later and play with Sandy Patterson and, and him and I go out and I have nine birdies for a course record sixty five at Breezy Bend. <laughs> wow. And I got I got Sandy by three. He was sixty eight. Oh, and wow. Billy Parker, who's Manitoba champ and amateur that was sixty nine. My uh, my my career low is eighty two and now is at the Assiniboine golf course, prestigious Royal Assiniboine Royal. golf course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Royal Assiniboine. Yeah, I mean, that's a good. That's a yeah. good call. They should. They should go to that. Down. That's what it should be. Yeah. I love. You know, I love playing that golf course uh, and all the pro ams and things that that's the one I used to mm-hmm. run. Yeah, uh, it's uh, and that's good. I mean, you know, don't forget you got a day job and and uh, you're playing for fun. And, and again, I you know I look at it and I when I teach people or sit and talk with them, I said, you know, you. You know, there's a difference. I mean, if you got the ability to shoot in the 80s in a game that everybody's shooting over 100 annually, you know, that mm-hmm. you, you got some sportsmanship in you and you got some competitiveness and you got yeah. some body you got some body control to pitch and putt and and, and keep it in, in between the three. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> when I started golfing, when I started golfing, uh, all, all my friends were, were better than me and, and their golf skills were, were a lot better than, so my answer to that was just get new friends that weren't as good as golf. <laughs> <laughs> and that worked out, that worked out pretty good. Yeah, that was, that's probably the guys on tour. So let's play with Christina because he's yeah. shoot 87. Yeah. <laughs> good confidence yeah. booster. Yeah. Are you, are you guys, are members anyone? No, we're, we're, we're free agents. No. Yeah, free agents. We just uh, drifters, if you wish. 
Well, Mike, Mike, where are you living here in Winnipeg too? Are both you? I do. Yep. I uh, yeah, I live in St. James. We play a lot at uh, Cinnabon, and then uh, we we uh, get out to Clear Lake quite often. So that's that's my uh, home away from home. Clear Lake Golf Course uh, yeah. is is my favorite course. Yeah, I had a great summer with Sarna two years ago when I when I came home from Comox and phone Ian for give me a job for the summer I don't care what and uh, I enjoyed that whole summer of playing Clear Lake you know every day at, with uh, with Brady Manson yeah yeah I know they got a Jack Madison great setup out there and, and so much to do yeah um, one uh, one last question here on the back nine lightning round um so uh, it's what is your favorite condiment? Uh, you're, you're making the turn. You're stopping for a hot dog. The battle axe behind the snack shack counter says you only get one condiment. What condiment is it? And also, I saw a picture that you were putting pierogies on your hot dog. So <laughs> we can include pierogies as an option and, and tell us, a, it, you know. My favorite condiment is mustard, and uh, Jr. What what do you got? What's your favorite? Uh, the the new fave now is if there's a jalapeno ketchup, I'll be all over that. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so Sandy, uh, what you? Well, I'm I'm old, so I'm going mustard. Oh, mustard. Two mustard versus yeah. ketchup. Yeah. Mm. Can't go without the mustard. Mm. Well, they are saying that you, you hang out at Tuxedo. When I ran Tuxedo, I was selling 30,000 hot dogs a year. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, the old playlist, because there was What's no What's the commission on that? <laughs> oh, God. Well, for every round of golf, was whatever the round of golf was, 33,000 for the year, we sold 33,000. If it was 35,000, 35,000 hot dogs. Let alone egg salad sandwiches, and, <laughs> yeah. and there, yeah. was no booze. there was no booze in those days. Oh, in the okay. 70s. Yeah, and then Johnny Isaac took over when I went to play the tour. Around hmm. yeah. a, a, uh, a lot of hot dogs. Yeah, yeah. When you think about it, and, and don't forget, like it was a two-hour wait on the first tee mm-hmm. in those days. So we're running on six-minute intervals, which was stupid. <laughs> and if, you know, he finally got on the golf course, and you sat on the first four key boxes before you got moving. Yeah. <laughs> so when you do, you, you, you eat four hot dogs. You couldn't eat, like, Coldona Park, Windsor. The best tea time to get at any public golf course was 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. You know, by 10 o'clock, you're two hour away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, I I remember got one those more days. For you. I got one more hockey story for you. All right. A uh, hockey golf story. Was, and, and as you know, Bobby Hall. Oh yeah. Right. So when I ran six years ago, I got, heard of him. Yeah, I've heard of him. He, he scored a couple of goals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so for my five years at Tux, and Bobby's living across the street on Bauer, and uh, it, it's the second year because I got all the kids. I got Blake. I got Bobby Junior. I got Brett. I I got. Uh, all my range kids, right? And uh, so there's one night Bobby comes over and 
and uh, it rained, so I got the kids picking the brains by hand and not with the machine. And I said, you don't want to hit balls. He said, yeah, I was thinking about it. And I said, well, the kids are picking up, but if you want to hit some wedges over on the far side, it'll be okay. Uh, well, maybe. So then we have a cup of coffee because there's no booze. And, and they said, okay, get me a bucket. And so I go and get him a bucket of balls. And he said, no. I want a bucket. I'm going to go pick up range balls with the kids. Hmm. And if you tell anybody that you have a $3 million hockey player picking up range balls at Tuxedo, I'll kill you. <laughs> and I said, okay. So off he goes. And you guys know the driver range. Yeah. And it's the old clubhouse and my office looks out under the range. Basically where the counter is for the pro shop today is with my office. So, He's out there picking with the kids, and uh, and the the range card is out there about the 200 yard mark, and he's at the far fence at 250. And I see him pick up these two buckets like an iron man, and he's got probably about 20 steps to the cart, and he keeps walking towards the clubhouse. And I I'm watching this, and he's not he's not putting them down. He's he's a straight out iron man. And he walks the whole end to end of the driving range to the clubhouse. And he puts the balls down at the back door. And I jump out the back door and I said, if he could only shoot the puck, he would make a hell of a hockey player. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, he, and he looks at me. And going back to my first story is about hitting somebody, right? Yeah. And he says, Sandy, Sandy. I said, yeah. He said, I want you to come over to the house after work tonight. And I said, why? He said, I got six toupees for you to try on. Well, I'm 27 years old. I got the long hair going like I had in junior. I still got five brims going. I use a blow dryer, you know, so I'm okay. <laughs> and here's Bobby at, you know, at 10 years older at 37 with growing things out of his head to keep a toupee on. <laughs> and, uh, so we laugh and giggle about that that night and day thing. Jeez. <laughs> so that's the end of it. I leave to go play the tour in 1980. I do not see Bobby for 16 years after that. And the, the All-Star Game's on in Vancouver in 96 or something like that, 95, 96. 96. And then, so Jacqueline being in school, her classroom teacher wants to take the kids to see all the um, trophies and the all-star game and stuff like this in Vancouver. So I'm not working. So I thought, my hand, I'll be a chaperone for the day and help them. On the ferry boat over, I said, and she's like 27 or 8 and blonde, 5 foot 8. And I said, hey, if I can find Bobby Hall, we can get a picture with the kids and and go from there. She said, oh, if I could get his autograph, he's my dad's favorite player. And I'm going, okay, if we find him, we'll do it. But I'm telling you right now, don't get near him. <laughs> she said, why? I said, never mind, just don't get near him. So we get to the arena in, in Vancouver, and off I go. And uh, I said, I'll go and find him, and then I'll come find you guys. And so sure enough, I find Bobby in this booth signing autographs, and and uh, he's got two people at the counter, and 
he peeks around the two to see who's standing in, in line and, and there's nobody except me. And I'm like 15, 20 feet away. And he does a double take. He looks and then he comes back and looks again and starts laughing. And these two people turn around and look at me and go, what's so funny about that guy? Right. <laughs> yeah. So here I am standing 20 feet away with my new Kojak look of steel <laughs> Brenner and no hair and, and, and Bobby. So these people leave and Bobby comes around the counter and at me and he's Sandy, Bobby, Sandy, Bobby, Sandy, <laughs> and hugs and kisses. And he whispers, you guys, he whispers in my ear and he says, I still have those six toupees. <laughs> And I went, are you kidding me? I said, I'm going to remember that story, but why should you, right? He said, you know what the golden rule is? And I said, yes, I do. He said, you hit me that day, and I'm coming back to get you. Because I knew your grandfather was bald, and your your dad So we have a laughing giggle. And I said, listen, you haven't met met Jacqueline, that chief in the grade six, and, you know, uh, they're all here. Would you take a picture? Go get them. Sandy, Sandy. Mm-hmm. What, what does the teacher look like? I said, she's old and ugly. Oh, shoot. Okay. <laughs> so I walked back with the kids in, in this gorgeous five foot eight blonde, and I get this thump in the shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm taking the picture. The kids are there. She's standing at the back. Bobby comes up beside her and puts his arm around her waist and gives her a, a little tug. Well, I thought her eyeballs were going to jump out. And, and uh, so we have a great time. And, and Bobby, I'll see you when I see you. And, and head back to Parksville and get back on the, on the ferry. And she said, I understand what you meant now. I said, mm-hmm. yep. Mm-hmm. I even now at 80-something, he still got that that uh, humor oh yeah <laughs> yeah well, I, I don't think that's yeah, something that, that ever really yeah. leaves you no no he's uh he's a magnet oh. um yeah but uh that was my tuxedo days with him and he brought every swede that came to play for the jets in that five years all had lessons with me uh it was it was great times at tux so, yeah. incredible yeah. incredible uh, yeah. well, well, thank you so much, Sandy, for uh, for coming on, uh, doing this, doing this for us. And if people want yeah, to yeah. to come either check you out, I mean, they can always go up to to Heckler this summer, and hopefully, COVID will cooperate, and we'll get to have a, a trick shot show or two yeah. that uh, we can tell people to go check out. But uh, how can people follow you? Can uh, they follow you on social media? Uh, they can follow me on social on, on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Um, and if you guys uh, are thinking of coming, you make sure that you keep my cell number and phone me and I'll look after you for golf. Oh, wow. Well, then yeah. we, we just might and, have to do that. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I'll have my trick shot clubs up there and I'll go whack a few balls before or after you drink your faces off. <laughs> let's go with, let's go with before. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I one of you, I will hit off. I will hit the ball off your face. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll, I'll leave that to Mike. <laughs> <laughs> that was Sandy Kersiba, head professional at Lakeview Hecla Golf Course on beautiful Hecla Island, just a couple hours north of Winnipeg. 
former Aussie and Canadian tour player, former pro hockey player, and current fashion icon and trick shot artist. And he's been doing trick shots before was Instagram cool. And my goodness, that's a great way to kick off a podcast. I think we're going to retire. I think we're done. And of course, it's fueled by, well, Mikey likes it. He likes just about everything. What does Mikey like today? Absolutely, JR. Uh, one local brew I wanted to highlight. Um, you know, there's a lot of notable mentions out there, but uh, the sleeper pick I wanted to bring up was Lousy Beatnik from Barnhammer Brewing. It's uh, it's an amber lager. It's crispy, flavorful. You know, it's mild enough for Aunt Clara, but hoppy enough for Cousin Waldo. It's uh, it's. <laughs> It's, it's it's one to check out, that's for sure. Who has a cousin Waldo? That's who I want. That's what I want to know. Yeah, I, I uh, my aunt uh, Teresa's dentist's brother, I think, has <laughs> an uncle Waldo. <laughs> it's six degrees of Winnipeg. Someone, <laughs> someone, someone out there has an uncle named Waldo. <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll find him, and we'll get him on the pod. We'll find him. Yeah, it'll be a good chat. What else does Mikey like? Well, I, the other, uh, sometimes Mikey needs to eat, right? Well, I think we all and, do. Uh, and Mikey doesn't like to go too far. <laughs> he's a, he's a St. James cat and he likes to eat in St. James. So, uh, you know, another sleeper I'd like to bring up is, uh, one great city. It's in, uh, Madison square, just off Nest Avenue. You know, they got great sandwiches, uh, great beer. They brew all their own beer. They got great dis- Detroit-style pizza, so that that thick crust pizza. But, uh, JR, my my personal favorite is the schnitzel. <laughs> JR, you got to try the schnitzel. I've never seen you turn away from a schnitzel. No, it's a good schnitzel. <laughs> How big is it? Yeah. It's as big as my head. It's a schnitzel as big as my head. <laughs> and a shout out to Twag as well. We're going to get Twag. You'll hear from him yeah. hopefully at a future podcast. He big, uh, he makes a, a few Mike romps there at one great city. Yeah. Yeah. He's a scratch golfer too, I, I think. Yeah, he can pound the piss out of a ball. If he can find it, then he'll whack it again. But he can <laughs> certainly hit the shit out of it. <laughs> All right. Well, that was our very first podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, guys. And you can count on me waiting for you in the parking lot. The 18 Over Bar with Mike and JR podcast is brought to you by Cherries Hauling service with a cherry on top get them at cherrieshauling.ca if you own a construction company you know there's nothing better than a clean job site with cherries hauling they'll get rid of your garbage and debris we're talking drywall appliances mattresses furniture building supplies flooring carpeting bushes trees all that shit gone give cherry a call and he'll haul all that shit away and do it fast. Other guys will leave all that trash and debris in an overflowing bin, but not Cherry. 
I can't tell you how many times I've gone by new builds or renovation projects in and around Winnipeg, and I see overflowing dumpsters, bins, or a giant trash heap on the front drive. It is fucking disgusting and an absolute eyesore. The neighbors are getting pissed off having to look at all that trash that keeps on growing and growing, so just stop and give Cherry a call. He'll roll in with his dark sunglasses and bulging muscles. He'll steal your wife, and he'll take your junk away fast. Win-win if you ask me. Get a free quote at cherrieshauling.ca. Residential, commercial, industrial, or your nagging wife. He'll take it. C-H-E-R-R-Y-S hauling.ca. It's also brought to you by growablemedia.ca. Nothing cripples a business like a lack of leads and sales, especially during the pandemic. I don't need to tell you, COVID-19 has been one of the biggest economic hiccups we've ever encountered. Businesses are closing, employees are being laid off daily, yet smart businesses are still surviving and thriving. If you need more clients, Growable Media is for you. More specifically, if you'd like to know exactly how to get 5, 10, 30, even 50 plus high value dream clients every month with predictability and consistency. Sounds pretty fucking great, doesn't it? Growablemedia.ca is for you. Just checking out the website. You'll find a free COVID-19 marketing playbook and a free report on how to double or even triple your sales in the next 90 days, even during COVID. It's fucking phenomenal. Better yet, you can test drive their services for free. You don't have to pay them a dime until you get those coins tickling the bottom of your jean pocket. They don't get paid until you get paid. Now, they're not cheap, but they get shit done. They're not some company that'll give you 30 shitty leads for a thousand bucks or something like that, and they go take your money and disappear overnight. Globalmedia.ca is a Winnipeg born and raised. Check them out today and grab the free playbook and the report. Globalmedia.ca.